morning. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's Monday. It's the 4th of March. Wow. Hope you had a nice weekend. I had a fantastic time. Went to Cliveden House and got lost in a maze. The first time I've been in a maze for, I don't know, 25 years? Took my three-year-old boy and my one-year-old. I thought they'd be terrified, to be honest. And I did think this isn't going to last very long. And it will end in tears. Oh, not at all. They loved it. They loved it. They're wandering around. Well, we've been this way, and this way's a dead end. Wonderful fun. Anyway, it's Monday, and there's lots coming up on the show this morning. As always, keen to get your uh, opinions and your takes on a lot of these stories. Some of the things we're talking about include people should not be attracted to the UK just by the benefits available. Well, that's according to William Hague. The government is looking at changing the rules. How bad is fly-tipping where you live? It's one of those things really annoys me. It, as I get older, you, I, I, it, it annoys me. If, you, if you're taking a mattress somewhere and you're going to dump it, so, well, why not just take it to the dump? Why not go those extra few miles and take it to the dump? Don't just dump it on a lay-by. Well, it happened so much outside a Luton couple's home that the council put up a sign warning people not to do it. And then... The council's own contractors went and dumped rubbish. And do you remember on Friday, we told you about the £8,000 cheque that was still hidden in Milton Keynes Gallery. I used the phrase still hidden very, very loosely. Was it a hoax? Well, all be revealed with our art correspondent, Justin Dealey, in about half an hour's time. It's a fascinating story. Lots of ways, as always, to get in touch. Facebook.com forward slash BBC. 3CR. You can send me a text 81333. Start your text 3CR. Put your name on it please. Or start of the show. The lines are all... Look, all of the lines are free. Do you want to be the first caller on the show? 08459 455 555 BBC Three Counties Radio I'm keen to get your fake town stories as well. There's, a, there's an article in one of the newspapers about how we're all opting for slightly darker fake towns. And I kind of put this out in the office. Who gets a fake tan these days? It turns out everyone does. Nearly everyone. Why would you bother with a fake tan? We'll discuss the fake tan uh, fiasco, I'm calling it. I'm calling it a fake tan fiasco, just for my own pleasure. A little bit later on in the show. Now, changes to the rules uh, governing access to benefits, healthcare and housing for British citizens are being considered by the government. They want to make it more difficult for new arrivals in the UK to access these forms of welfare. Councils will be urged to use new powers to give priority to those on housing waiting lists with local connections. Well, our reporter, Catherine Boyle, I know has been following this story all weekend. Catherine, this all has to do with what's called benefit tourism, which William Hague was talking about over the weekend. Yeah, he said that this benefit tourism must end. This is ahead of the lifting of work restrictions on Romanians and Bulgarians, uh, who've been in since 2007 in the EU. Mr Hague told the BBC that people shouldn't be attracted to the UK just because of the benefits available, um, and said some people... People were coming in for artificial and perverse incentives. He thinks that they should be removed, um, those incentives. So he admitted that the government had no magic figure about how many Romanians and Bulgarians might move to the UK when controls expire in 2014. Um, but one immigration pressure group estimates around 50,000 people will move to the UK every year. The Foreign Secretary said any attempt to estimate that number, though, will be guesswork. The uh, guesstimate, the cross between a guess 
and an estimate. That's right. What has the Department of Health said? The Department of Health confirmed that the government was examining a wise, wide range of options to revise entitlement to free NHS services. That came after the Sunday Times reported ministers were considering making immigrants wait for up to a year before being able to seek non-emergency hospital care. How long have people from Romania and Bulgaria been free to live in the UK? Since 2007, um, but in the UK um, they've either had to apply for a limited work permit or been self-employed or worked in a specific jobs such as a sort of seasonal agricultural or domestic role um, under EU ro- rules though those temporary restrictions must come to an end at the beginning of 2014 after which Romanian and Bulgarian migrants will have the same right to live and work in the UK as of those of any other EU countries so that includes access to benefits in the NHS um, ministers think that the impact of the temporary work restrictions and the fact that eight other EU countries are also ending their restrictions at the same time as the UK make forecasting the number of Romanian and Bulgarian migrants might come to the UK, difficult to say the least. And what have lobby groups said about this? Well, Migration Watch, which, as you might suspect, supports tighter immigration controls, has predicted this 50,000 Bulgarians and Romanian number uh, that will come to the UK every year when these restrictions are lifted. Um, And it analysed migration from other European countries and the number of Bulgarians and Romanians already in the UK before making this estimate. Catherine Bowell, thank you very much. Go back upstairs to your tiny box, please. (laughs) I will do. Thank you. Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. So listen, there's a story in um, the Daily Mail of course it's the Daily Mail. It's Britain's favourite newspaper. It may not sell the most, but it's certainly the one we enjoy the most, isn't it? Isn't it? Oh. A golden tan, we'd rather be orange. A new super dark self-tanner is outselling light products by three to one. It accounts for 50% of fake tans sold. The sales of fake tanning products are worth £100 million a year in the UK. £100 million! I don't know much about fake tans, and we will be crossing later on in the show to our fake tan correspondent, Justin Dealey, who I believe has been, uh, been putting in uh, over 30 years' worth of research just for this very show. I don't get... Fa- I, he has. I don't get fake... Uh, but, uh, boy, he's got a... Well, he's more of a sunbed person, I think, and he's got a story about sunbeds that I don't think he can tell on the radio. We'll see. We'll see if we can get him to phrase it gently. I don't get why you would have the fake tan or why you would go for the sunbed. If I'm on holiday and I catch a bit of a tan, well, that's, that's fine, that's fair enough. But I, I make do with what God has given me. The girls, the, girls, <laughs> the girls in the office were saying, the ladies who work here with me, my female colleagues, uh, were saying, well, they don't like being pale and pasty. I don't think they're pale and pasty. I, I, I like pale and pasty. And I don't get how it works. There are different ones, aren't there? There, there are the, the ones you spray on yourself. There are the creams that you rub on. Is that right? Is that right? The creams you rub on. And you kind of just have to let them soak into your skin. And then there are these, these um, booths that you stand in and you put like a quid in or something. And you get a pair of paper pants. Well, how, how good is it going to be if you put a quid in? That can't be any good, can it? Is that, I don't know if that... Listen, I may have got this completely wrong. I'm, I'm kind of at the edge of my, of my knowledge. If you've had one of these fake tans, these spray tans, or these sunbeds, could you give me a call? There's a few things I want to ask you. The first question is, why? Why? 08459 455 555. Because if you've got... You, you know we can tell you've got fake tan on, yeah? You, you know that everyone is going, they've got fake tan, you, you look silly. 08459-455-555. I need your fake tan stories, please, if they've gone hideously wrong. Or if you think they have revolutionised your life and turned it round for the better, I'd be keen to hear that as well. 
I just don't get them. I, I, I don't want to say, I kind of think there's something a little bit sad about the fake tan. You don't need it. Well, you don't need it. 08459 four double five five double five. I'm after your fake tan stories this morning, please. Can you defend the fake tan? And has it ever gone wrong? I'm sure it must have done. It's all streaky, isn't it? Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Sophie, you're a young lady. You go out, you have a social life. Mm-hmm. Do you ever use the fake tan? Uh, no, I can't pull it off. I'm too pale and have red hair. I don't think, well, I don't think at all, I don't think anyone can pull it off. That's the, do, do your friends do it? Do you know, not so much Good anymore, actually. Excellent stuff, Sophie. Well, you're a sensible person some of the time, it would appear. It's an annoying thing, isn't it? No, not the fine young cannibals, although you know, it, could be, it could be argued. But no, no. Fly tipping. I hate it. I'm such a grumpy old man. I'm getting in, into practice. I just worked out. Where are we now? It's, it's uh, the March the 4th. Three months. Three months, five days. 40 years old. Three months, five days, 40 years old. Uh, anyway, sorry, I'm just going off. I just kept, keep having these little breakdowns. I'll try and keep them to myself. Uh, fly tipping. A Luton couple got so fed up with rubbish being dumped outside their property over the years that the council put up a no fly tipping sign. Fantastic! But then the council contractors are the latest people to ignore the warning. Go to the Facebook page. There's a picture of the, the, the sign, the side of their house, and the stuff that this couple claim has been dumped uh, by council contractors. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Have a look at uh, that while listening to re- this report. It happened outside Jerry and Mandy Galvin's house in Denham Close. Well, our reporter Ewan Duncan spoke to Mandy, who explained what happened. We returned home from work to find a large amount of rubbish fly tip next to our um, house, the adjoining wall of our house. The mess that was left there this week was actually left there by contractors who are refurbishing kitchens within the area. So obviously we're a bit shocked that these contractors who were responsible to the council were dumping the rubbish there and not taking it away in a skip as, you know, they should. We did immediately phone the council. In fact, my husband phoned the 24-hour emergency line because he was so worried. But they didn't do anything so my husband had to move the rubbish over to the other side of the road just so that you know it wouldn't affect our house nothing happened um the next night we returned home to find more rubbish and that's when we we did actually email the council with photographs my husband took photographs how often has this happened down the years i think probably about seven times in total really but this has been the worst occasion what items were left by the side of the house this time a lot Mm. (laughs) um probably a whole kitchen or maybe two kitchens or you know it went along half the side of the house kitchens that have been taken out old units um tiles flooring just building rubbish really probably about half a a small skipful say yeah i gather on a previous occasion some of the materials that were left by the house were set on fire or what happened then it was about three o'clock in the morning it was quite a long time ago so the children were only quite little maybe about four and six and um, there was a knock on the door and it was actually a young lad. I think what had happened, I think him and his friends had set fire to it and he sort of got a bit worried because he noticed that there was a gas bottle by the side and he'd obviously called the fire engine in the meantime and the fire engine had to come, we got evacuated. It, I mean, it, it wasn't um, bad, but it could have been bad and it was just like smoke coming up. And my daughter does sleep on the end bedroom 
bedroom, so it was a bit worrying, really. But there are a lot of decent, hard-working people in Marsh Farm, and we take pride in our property. And, you know, and it, it just does bring the area down, and it does make people think, oh, you know, Marsh Farm is full of scumbags, and we're not all like that. Do you feel you got a good response from the council in the end? In the end, but, you know, I just think, why should we have to... You know, they should have come and... Well, firstly, it shouldn't have happened in the first place, but they should have come out that evening. What do you feel are the risks when the rubbish is left? If it's um, kitchens that have been torn out, you don't know there could be nails in there, screws or anything. You know, children could hurt themselves on them. That would be my concern. Especially, I mean, luckily not this week, but last week it was half term. If had had done it then, you know what children are like. They'd just treat it as a game, start climbing all over it. And it can't be much fun having to move it away. Your husband's having to do that and wastes yeah. his time. It was raining that night as well, and you know, and he, he was he was out there a good twenty minutes, you know, l- lugging it from one side of the road to the other, and you know, and, and he said it, it didn't smell very pleasant. <laughs> but that's the annoying thing about this instance. That sign is there, and the rubbish was put right underneath yeah. it. I mean, we've got the photograph. It, you know, it does actually make a mockery of it. It says no fly tipping, and then they dump a load of it. It's, it's just a mockery. It's laughable, really. Well, it's not funny, but, you know, you have to... Just can't believe it, really. Are you surprised they didn't bring a skip with them in the first place? It's just standard building procedure, isn't it, really? You know, it's like they're probably trying to cut corners and maybe, you know, not have to use a skip, but I would have thought it'd be standard procedure, really. And Bernie Robertson, who lives nearby, portrayed a similar picture. We get quite a bit of rubbish put outside by people, but the biggest problem I find is that it's not getting collected either. What sort of things get dumped? Boxes, furniture, anything really. Not rubbish. Uh, The rubbish is put in the bins, it's just other bulky items. Presumably it detracts from the area? You seem to have it in certain spaces on the street and it's usually left in those spaces. It's not dumped everywhere. So there'll be corners of the street where people will put rubbish out. Have you tried to have some action taken to remove it? Um, Yeah, we phone the council on a regular basis. Um, Bulky items can be arranged quite easily through the council to be collected and then we do ring and complain about other things. Um, We had a neighbour fall over, um, an elderly neighbour, on cardboard that had been left outside and we ended up having to clear that up ourselves. How bad was that incident? She cut her face and she was on the floor for a little while. And uh, we ended up having to clear that up because nobody else, um, no council, had come out and done it for us. You find that people do put the boxes out on recycling days, but they don't get collected either. So we find it's more of you know, a council issue and people just, um, you know, the bulky items, that's just pure laziness, to be honest. Do you feel you get a good response from the council in general when you need it? No, not really. Not where we, you know, complain about things happening and people hurting themselves because they haven't picked up the rubbish. Many occasions you will be able to stand here and see the council van drive past knowing that they've just driven past rubbish laying on the floor and just behind us by the side of what looks like a block of flats we've got some rubbish big pieces of cardboard yeah very much so um we've had a bit of a problem with some people throwing rubbish out of the flats it has been reported but that seems to have stopped thankfully apart from the cardboard boxes but then we wouldn't know where they come from so they've been there for over a week now so and i'm sure the council's come down on a regular basis i think every area's got it i think it's all over the place you know, you've walked down this street today where um, there's quite a bit here. I think it's everywhere. Is it difficult for the council to clear it all up when it happens over such a large area? Um, yeah, maybe, but the, when they drive down the street and then still drive past the rubbish, that's when you have to question, you know, why? Why have they just driven past it and left it? And that does happen on quite a regular basis.
Well, Luton Borough Council says it can confirm that the offending items originally left by the Gavin's house uh, have been removed from the area. It apologises to residents unreservedly for this unacceptable situation and it will ensure a thorough investigation is undertaken. Go and have a look. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. The picture's there. It's pretty awful. A lot of boxes and wood and some shelving and stuff. How bad is fly tipping where you live? 08459 455 555. Want to know? It's one of those things. Oh, it annoys me. I know there. I know there are bigger things in the world, but it's one of those things that does really, really annoy me. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Facebook.com forward slash BBC three CR. And that's your latest news and sport. More from me at seven o'clock. You're a pale lady. Yes. Would you go for the um? What do you call it? The the, the sun fake tan. Thing? I have in the past, and it's always almost always been a disaster. Why, why would you do it? Well, because I'm sort of a Colleen, Irish Colleen type, so freckly and white, yes. and almost glow in the dark. But that's, that's a night, people like that. They, they, they don't. I had years of torment at school when I used to get my legs out in the summer. Milk what? bottle. Oh. Spook, they used to call me. Ooh. Are they not calling you milk bottle just because those really thick glasses you wear? <laughs> is, that, is that not it? That's why I call you it. Oh. So, so what did you have? Did you have the cream? Did you have the spray? I've tried everything. But, you know, when you're coming from a, a stanti- starting point of almost blue, it always shows up. So it always ends up streaky and I always end up looking rubbish. OK, well, we'll speak to you in about half an hour, milk bottle. Thanks very much. <laughs> Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC's Three Counties Radio. I like the pale. Men. I'm asking, I'm speaking to men specifically here. Do you prefer the pale or the orange? It's a simple, it's a simple thing. The pale or the orange? Which way do you go? I don't like the orange. It looks, oh, it, it, doesn't it look weird? And then, if they have a shower and bits of it come off, no. Gentlemen, on the texts, a little text vote, scientific text vote, okay? 81333, start your text 3CR, put your name on. The pale lady or the orange lady? You can give us a call as well if you want, 08459 455 555. Coming up in the next 30 minutes of the show. Remember on Friday, we told you about the £8,000 cheque that was hidden in Milton Keynes Gallery. Was it a hoax? Well, all will be revealed with our um, arts correspondent, Justin Dealey, in just a few minutes. On the subject of fly tipping that we were talking about just before the, uh, the news on Facebook, Trudy says, oh my... She doesn't say, oh my, that's me saying, oh my, I'm trying to paint the scene. If you want to see the picture of this fly tipping, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Trudy, quote, And to think I moan about people putting their black bins out a day too early. Colon, open bracket. Oh, it looks like a sad face. Those poor people who live in that house and close. War- ah, Warren says, oh boy, there we go. This is just awful. I'm fortunate enough never to have experienced this anywhere I've lived. Benjamin says, are the council, it's, it's, it's council contractors that are doing this, by the way. Here's, that's the rub. Are the council or the contractors really that hard up for cash? They can't afford a skip. If I was one of those residents, I'd gather it up and dump it outside council offices. People should stand up to fly tippers. You never see anyone do it. Listen, listen. I've, I've occasionally put a, a, the odd thing in, in someone's skip. There's a skip parked a few streets away from me, and I've got some stuff that needs dumping. I've put a few things in there, OK? And that's one of the joys of hiring a skip, waking up in the morning and looking out and seeing what other people have put in there. That, that's one of the things. But to just dump it on a bit of green land? No. 
David and Marsh Farmers texted, Fly tipping Denham Close. There is a chap who cuts his hedge every year and dumps it by the flats opposite. He should be prosecuted. He's done it again the last week. Oh, dear. 08459 455 555. We have a soft spot for Glenn Campbell on this show. This is from his last album, Ghosts on the Canvas. Should have been a stinker. It wasn't. It was wonderful and moving and perfect. Should have been a stinker, that album. When was it? Two years ago, maybe? Wasn't. It was brilliant. Listen to him. Do you know what? I've got the boys today. My wife's at work. I think I'm going to educate them in the ways of Glen Campbell. It's Glen Campbell Day for my children. It's a definitive moment in our relationship. Because <laughs> if they don't dig it, they're out. Thank you, Glenn. Now, this check in the Milton Keynes Gallery, was it a hoax? Well, artist Thomas Georgeson claimed he'd hidden a cheque for £8,000 in the MK Gallery and said if anyone found it, they could keep it. They write their name in, they get eight grand. He said it was to attract people to the gallery and get more people interested in art. Well, the deadline for finding the cheque was Friday at 2pm. It made national news, international news. Thomas said he would make a statement at the gallery on Friday, but did he? Well, our reporter, Tony Fisher, spoke to people just before the deadline. Have you heard about this artist who's hidden yeah, the cheque well, for £8,000? Yes, I have. And I've heard about it today with, from my son. So he came and collected me from Asprey Eyes, and here I am to look for it. And I've just found out that um, it's not where the art is, because nobody wants that destroyed or touched. It's in the public spaces. And we've only got ten minutes. I know. What are you going to do? Oh, rush and find it. He did say, the artist, apparently, to take care. So it's obviously in a slightly precarious position. Oh, right. So we need to climb. We should have bought a ladder. <laughs> <laughs> have you heard about the artist who's hidden a cheque for £8,000 well, in the we gallery? Did. We saw it in the paper last night, didn't we? We just came to see where it is. Yeah. Are you here to try and find it, or are you just oh, here yeah, to look at the art? Definitely. I'm trying to keep an eye on the art. I reckon it's, 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 it could be in the artwork somewhere. It could either be there... But my main guess is it's going to be by the reception or it's in a dark room. But have I've, you have I've, you been here a few times trying to look for it? Uh, no, it's the first day today, actually. But it's because it's the last day. I've, I've been rushing around everywhere and I've been looking for the last half hour. Well, our free cash giveaway correspondent, Justin Dealey. You've been following this story intently, yes. haven't you, Justin? Oh, I have been, and I you, have indeed. You've, loved, you've, got, no, you've got a slightly suspicious tone in your voice. <laughs> what, but what happened? Friday, 2 o'clock, the artist Thomas Georgeson was, was going to make a statement. What, what, what did he say? Where well, was the cheque? Well, Thomas Georgeson, uh, the man, of course, worked with a very arty beard. Our listeners may remember that we tracked him down to his home last week, but he refused to give us an interview. Yes. He wouldn't speak to us or anybody else from the media before this statement at 2pm He was saving it for the statement at 2pm on Friday, Justin. Yes. We're all eager to know, what did he say at 2pm? Where had he hidden the cheque? He would not be dictated to by the media, that famous quote of course, <laughs> well. Um, at 2pm on Friday he said to us, I may, I may not turn up. As it turns out, Ian, he didn't turn oh, up at the gallery. Yes, he didn't do it. But the cheque was recovered. Instead of speaking to us, again, he sent us a statement, and this is what it says. This afternoon, my cheque for £8,000 was recovered by one of four young graduate artists who have been helping me with this intervention at the Milton Keynes Gallery. The cheque is now void and the project is concluded. 
These artists each hold different details about where and how the cheque was hidden, which will provide proof for those who need it should they choose to step into the spotlight. One way or another, as soon as the public here feel a sense of pride in artists who take big risks and achieve success on a national or even international level, any disconnect between the gallery and the public at large will disappear. I do not intend to make any further statement about this project other than to acknowledge my accomplices should they ever wish to come forward. Huh? I will not be contactable and am now on holiday. God knows I need the rest. Sorry? I must urge the press not to make any efforts to contact my family. They do not know the answers to your questions. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you sincerely. I've got a question. Is he a plum? Yeah. Well, hang on a minute. So there were f- apparently there were four mysterious yes. lads that yes. we don't know about. Nope, that's right. Who, who went and collected the cheque. One of them, one out of the four did. Without telling anybody... Uh, Justin, can I put yes. forward a, a hypothesis yes. to you? <laughs> Those four lads don't exist and that cheque was never there and he's winding us all up. Hey, listen, uh, those four people do exist, according to him, and if they wish to come forward and come into the spotlight, whether that be national or international media, they can do at some point. So the cheque was recovered, it was apparently in the gallery all along, but nobody sadly found it and nobody could get that £8,000. So, he claims the cheque was recovered. Of course, we have no evidence the cheque was recovered. We have never seen this cheque. We do not know where this cheque was apparently hidden. Mm. Justin, there is a slightly suspicious tone in your voice. Listen, I know the BBC, impartial, all of that. Forget that for a second. Imagine Mm. it's me and you in the greasy spoon having a chat. What do you think? I think it's a fantastic publicity stunt. That's what I think it is. And if it was genuine, and of course, uh, who am I to say it's not, but if it was genuine, Thomas, why didn't you talk to us, and why are you still not talking to us? Apparently, God knows, your words, not mine, God knows I need a holiday. Well, for the last four weeks, what have you been doing? You've been sitting at home refusing to talk to the media. (laughs) Come on! Justin, going off, and you've done brilliant in this story, but just going off on a slight tangent, there is a rumour going around the office that that you sometimes use the fake tan. Is this correct? Absolutely, yes. Now, I remember, I'm sure you remember this as well, a few weeks ago, I came back off my holiday, and you said to me, and I've got a quote here, I wrote this down somewhere, here it is, uh, wow, you look amazing, uh, that tan looks wonderful, come here, I love you. Uh, that's what you said to <laughs> Did me. Did I say those exact words? Exact words, wow. I actually wrote them down, there you go, that oh. was at uh, 7.21 in the morning during our live outside broadcast. So, uh, yes, uh, having a tan does make me feel better, I know you're talking about this this morning, I've got reaction already, I've got 30 seconds here from Karen. Karen doesn't use fake tan, but she has got an opinion, take a quick listen to this. Now Karen, you don't wear fake tan, but your daughter does. Does she look orange? No, she doesn't look orange. She looks uh, very pleasant and, um, how can I say, healthy. Yeah. She has a healthy glow with it. So when she has the fake tan on, it makes her feel a lot better. Is that the gist of this? That is the gist of it, and it's a lot uh, less dangerous than sitting in the sun. Um, Yeah, I agree with fake tan. Quite a good idea. Yeah, no problem. She agrees with it, Ian. I know you're talking about it this morning. Um, (laughs) In terms of myself, I prefer a bit of a glow to the orange uh, compared to the pale. Uh, But a lot of people do use it. I think secretly you use it as well. I think you're being a bit of a monkey this morning live on air, you are, Ian. (laughs) Look how pale I am. I've got bags under my eyes. I don't use fake tan. But I've seen these photographs of you at the weekend. I think when you get home on a Friday after the show, it's been a long week. You slap it on, you go out at the weekend, and you look slightly orange. But that's your secret. Those photos, Justin, are private, so we're going to end that conversation there. On the subject of fake tans, Tina Edwards has tweeted me. I fainted whilst getting a spray tan. I've never fainted in my life. So my first time whilst naked in front of a stranger equals cringe. You never want to 
faint naked in front of a stranger. That really is. I've only ever fainted... I've only ever fainted once. It was very weird. It was, if I'm honest, it was quite enjoyable. It was quite nice. Yeah, it was. It was quite enjoyable. Do you remember? There was a thing at school. This is, hey, the 70s and the 80s, kids. This is what you can get away with then. You couldn't do it now. Uh, and don't get it. Don't do it now. But there was, in the 70s and 80s, and it never worked to me, there was a thing for making yourself faint. And I won't go into, into the details, but it involved your mate sitting on your chest, basically. And it was like a big thing in the early 80s. Oh, do you, do you, do you fancy fainting? Yeah, go on then. Right, so go on. And they, they, they would do that. That's not how I fainted, by the way. I, I fainted um, after a particularly uh, um, heavy night, shall we say. Yes. And I stood up to close the curtains, and the next thing I was lying on the floor. I thought, ooh, this is unusual. Never happened since. But fainting while getting a spray tan. No, no, no. That's not the way to do it at all. Now... A Buckinghamshire man is annoyed that he can't get his songs into the Eurovision Song Contest because of the BBC's selection policy. Raymond Marks has written potential songs for three years, but because the BBC hasn't performed a national selection for the last ten years, he doesn't get the opportunity to have his song chosen. Well, Raymond joins me now. Good morning, Raymond. Morning, Ian. Raymond, why do you want to write songs for Eurovision so much? Well, I think it's a a very important contest, and, um, you know, I've sort of old enough to sort of go back to sort of the early days of it. And um, I think one of the things that's happened is, I don't know if you watched it last year, but Graham Norton's been like a breath of fresh air. He's lifted the whole thing, he's interested, makes it interesting. And it's it's viewed by an estimated 125 million people, and I think with the UK talent we've got, we're silly to, you know, not be in it to win it. So what's wrong with the BBC selection policy? Why has that got you so angry? Well... I wouldn't say anger is quite the word. What I would say is, if I ask people... Furious? Um, how many times in the last 55 years we've competed, would you say we've come in the top five? What would you say? Last 55 years in the top five, I would say... 30. Well, that's, that's bang on. In fact, most people say about 10%. It's 52%. Right. But over the last 10 years, we've only come in the top five once. Ah, now, the big thing is, in the times when we had a national selection, we did much better. Um, <clears throat> uh, in fact, we, we came f- second 15 times, would you believe? But, but and, was, and it, was, so that the, was that because of the selection process, or because Eurovision was slightly different, nay, more naive back then? Now it's huger, there are more people involved, there's more politics involved. Well, that's a, that's a good point. Um, what it I would is. say is, uh, how can I describe it? Last year was a disaster, despite having a great star, Engelbert Humperdinck. He had a decent song. Um, someone said because he came first, that was a problem. But, you know, he, he came 25th, one up from the bottom. Um, and, you know, I, I think we've got to be in it to win it. And the BBC choosing the song hasn't been a great success. Andrew Lloyd Webber became, came fifth when he did his song. And I remember at the time, he had one song and four or five people performed it in front of him. I think he missed the opportunity of uh, taking the twins through to Eurovision. I think that he would have won. He had, he had a, a pair of blonde twins singing the song, but he took a man through. Ah, you've lost me slightly on the the, the specifics here, Raymond. Listen, we, we're going to um, play a little bit of, of your song uh, in a second. You, I've not heard, genuinely not heard this song. It's the first time I've heard it. You think this song is good enough to go to Eurovision, do you? Yes, well, um, what I would say is that um, I think it's good enough to go into the selection process. Right. 
And then once you go through a selection process, at least the nation's behind the song that you're putting forward. The BBC just choosing a song uh, themselves hasn't been a great success. Like Blue with I Can, uh, their manager said if they don't win, it's career suicide. I think they came 11th. So um, I think our song In the Light is the one that could have won the Eurovision Song Contest, given the chance. Well, In the Light is the song we're about to play. You think it could be a winner. Raymond, would you like to introduce uh, your song? Yes. Um, now, the singer is Sara Lilly. I think she's on the cusp of being a great star. And I suspect that's part of the trick, because the big stars, Beatles, Rolling Stones, even Adele, have never seemed to have been in the Eurovision Song Contest. So you've got someone who's a great singer uh, on the cusp of being a great star. It's called In the Light. It was written by myself and Nana Elliott, who's actually from Georgia, the East European Georgia. And a local rock celebrity, Les Payne, did the actual production. That's in the light, uh, and that's by our guest Raymond Marks. Uh, Raymond, you you think that that could, that could have been a Eurovision winner, or could potentially be a Eurovision winner? Do you? Yes, it was written uh. to be a Eurovision submission. Um, I tell you, what's interesting is you know I don't just write it in thin air. And, no. Um, uh, when you do creative work, you always crave people's feedback, yes. and I've had you know lots of good feedback. Really? One character rang me up and said. Um, I think it would have won in, in, in um, 1963. Well, I was very flattered about that because um, then we, we would have beaten France. But I, I think this is the European style that would win us. Raymond, uh, we're running out of time. Would you like our listeners to, to give you feedback on this this morning? Yes, please. OK, Raymond Marks, thank you. Well, there you go, dear listener. That's um, In the Light by Raymond Marks. What do you think? Is it a Eurovision winner? Let's share, let's share the joy. 459 455 555. There's a strong chance Raymond probably wouldn't want to hear my feedback, but he wants to hear yours. 08459 455 555. Is this a Eurovision winner? Sophie Tyler, BBC Three Counties Radio. Sophie, did you manage to catch that, that Eurovision song? I caught the end of it. What, what, what did you think? Potential winner? Absolutely. <laughs> oh, Sophie Tyler. More coming up after the news and sport with Catherine Boyle. BBC Three Counties Radio. First for news. Kath, bef- I don't know if you were listening, perhaps you're a little bit busy, but before the news, we played a song called In the Light by Raymond Marks. Oh, and right, yeah. Raymond is, um, he's not very happy with the BBC selection process for Eurovision songs. He says it's because of the BBC that the, his song, In the Light, could never be considered as a Eurovision song. What did you think of the song? Um, I thought it was an interesting take on um, a song. She's very naughty, that Catherine Boyle. Very naughty. If you heard the song, maybe we'll play a little bit, bit a bit later on. I think we'll do that. Because if you if you heard the song. Keen to get your thoughts. It does seem it's a closed shop, doesn't it, the Eurovision Song Contest? And it, should it be open to, to, to people like Raymond? We'll discuss that a bit more. Other things coming up between now and 8 o'clock. People should not be attracted to the UK just by the benefits available. That's according to William Hay. Well, the government is looking at changing the rules. I'll be speaking to Don Flynn, director and founder of the Migrant Rights Network, to see what he thinks. How bad is fly-tipping where you live? It happened so much outside a Luton couple's home that the council put up a sign warning people not to do it. Then their own contractors went and dumped rubbish. 
Go and look at the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR for a picture. And fake tan. Fake tan is worth £100 million a year in this country. I, I don't get it. Girls, gentlemen, you look for... Embrace the paste. There's no need to go orange. Love to get your, your fake tan and your sunbed stories. We'll see if we can tease Justin Dealey's sunbed story out of him. I don't know if it's particularly uh, family-friendly, though. There are two stories. One of them we can get away with, the other one I'm not so sure about. <laughs> you can guess what happens. Facebook.com, sorry. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. You can text <laughs> 81333. Start your text 3CR. Put your name on it, please. Oh, and the best way to get in touch um, is to give me a phone call. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Changes to the rules governing access to benefits, healthcare and housing for British citizens are being considered by the government. They want to make it more difficult for new arrivals in the UK to access these forms of welfare. Councils will be urged to use new powers to give priority to those on housing waiting lists with local connections. Don Flynn is the director and founder of the Migrant Rights Network and joins me now. Morning, Don. Good morning. Don, what do you make of these proposed changes? Um, well, I think the first question to ask is, uh, is there, are they needed? Um, is there really any evidence that there, there is a substantial pull factor from the welfare benefit system in the UK? And one of the, the advantages that we've got at the moment is that we've, you know, we've got 10 years of, of uh, the experience of migration from Eastern Europe. And you know, there's been a lot of research, a lot of surveys, a lot of studies. Um, and this, it's simply it's very, very difficult to find that there is evidence that people actually do come here primarily for the, uh, for the benefit system. Doing a show like this, uh, Dom, where uh, people phone me up and tell me their stories, I do hear a lot of um, people not being able to get council housing because of what they claim to be migrants coming over here, people not being able to get jobs because migrants are coming and uh, and doing it. Do you not hear those stories? Yes, I hear them, and then we go off and look for evidence of it. I mean, as I say, there's huge amounts of research on it. Um, As far as the the housing issue was concerned, I mean, that was looked into by by, um, a a couple of years ago with a big study when these claims were being made. And it was found that the, the, the migrants were something in the region of, 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 of a fifth as likely to be able to access council housing. And even then, only after they'd been resident in the country for 10 years or so, as, uh, as, as, as other people. Um, so people talk about this, and there's obviously a lot of agitation and in a, a time of growing hardship. You can see why people are, are concerned. The point is we have to look at the facts, and when we look at the facts and we look at the evidence... It's simply not there that migrants are coming to, uh, to take these benefits. They're coming for work, um, but even as far as work is concerned, there's very much a, a segmented labour market where the jobs that migrants seem to be going to are ones that, uh, that, 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 that natives do not seem to be that interested in. But migrant, th- there are cases of migrants who do get housing and do get uh, benefits. Sh- should we be allowing that well i mean what, what are these cases the cases in which they get they, they get benefits and they they, they is after they've been in the country for 
a long a long period of time, and effectively we you know we have to think of them as as as, as being effectively British citizens. If we're going to have a benefit system, if we're going to have a welfare system, then we have to, it, it has to be a fair one. We cannot have a benefits and welfare system which, uh, which, which allows some people to get its benefits and it unjustly withholds it from other people, particularly when these people are taxpayers. When somebody has been in the country, they're working, they're paying their taxes, then what moral justification have we got for withholding benefits which their taxes are paying for from them? Don, this would also affect healthcare, wouldn't yeah. it? Uh, yeah. d- d- should we be stopping? It's only going to be the essential emergency procedures, I think, that are going to be uh, covered for, for, for migrants. Uh, is that appropriate to stop other healthcare or, or to make it more difficult? Well, I mean, again, I think you have to say, is, is, is there a pressing need for this? Is, is there evidence that people are, are migrating in order to abuse the healthcare system? And once again, that doesn't seem to be the case. Um, there have been surveys of what is actually going on in health authorities up and down the country. And what you invariably find is not, is, is not so much that migrants are clogging up the system. Um, I mean, the more typical problem is that they're not using the system properly um, rather than registering with GPs um, um, when they, they do find themselves ill or injured. They're going to accident and emergency departments, which most... Uh, which the authorities would rather they did not. Um, and if you look at you know, what is, is constantly be, being discussed is how do we encourage migrants to engage with the health services in a proper way? How, within a, a, a matter of a week, weeks of them arriving in the country, how do we get them along to their GP surgery in order to register with the, with the local GPs? But can you understand how some people uh, could possibly feel frustrated that, that, uh, that, they, that some people come over here and they haven't been paying much in terms of national insurance, if anything, uh, and tax, and yet they seem to be reaping the benefits that the, the people who have been here their whole lifetimes get? Well, I mean, as I say, I, I understand a, you know, a lot of things that are going on at the moment moment we are living through quite fr- a f- quite frightening period of time and there are massive cuts taking place um, you know there's privatization there's all sorts of, of things that people don't understand uh, taking place and you know they do appear to be looking for somebody to blame for it um, that's what I think this is all about uh, look, looking in quite a lot of detail at what was going on in the Eastleigh by-election last week there was an, you know an awful lot of completely unjustified claims that were being made against migrants um, and you know it did seem to be the case that a lot of politicians were working the system as much as they possibly could in order to divert blame from themselves onto another group of people and and that's what i really do think is happening this is this is a game of blame the migrants they're an easier group of people to to lay the to lay the blame on than the people who really are responsible. Don, I appreciate your time. Thank you, Don Flynn, director and founder of the Migrant Rights Network. Interesting what he had to say. What do you think? 08459 455 555. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Earlier on... We spoke to Raymond Marks. He's a local songwriter and he is upset with the way the BBC chooses their entries for Eurovision. He thinks it's unfair and it would, it would stop songs like his in the light being chosen. Well, we played the song about 15 minutes ago. What do you think? Is this, is this good enough? He, he, 
Raymond thinks this could be a Eurovision winner. Ophelia in Luton, what do you think? Uh, I'm not sure about that. Um, Ian. Yes? It doesn't sound, um, it sounds a bit like 30 years ago, like what Donna would have sang in one. But not with the present day, because the kind of people that are voting and the kind of songs that are coming in, that's not going to hit them off. You, you don't think, hang on. think that that's that, that that's quite catchy it's only the second time i've heard it and i'm i can sing along to the tune what well, here we go what's wrong that's it's catchy isn't it in the light. it's quite catchy a feeling you don't think that 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 could be a potential winner um, okay, um, you're right. What happened, <laughs> Ophelia? Is it? T- are you crying? Is it moved you? No, no. She was oh. singing. No. Sorry. Oh my gosh, you were singing it. I'm sorry. I was singing because that's no, Ian. I'm sorry. It, you know, sing it a little bit more, but it's not a Eurovision level song. Look at what's wow. been and the kind wow, of people that not... are voting. Yeah, you know, it's a nice song. Yeah, yeah but um, no, it's not going to win. It's not going to actually get one vote. No disrespect intended. Serious, look at who's voting. It's all them young people. I don't ever really... I watch Eurovision to see what the latest um, outrage they're going to be wearing or the latest outrage they're going to be singing. I don't even watch all of it. not my kind of thing. We've got it's a couple of, Ophelia, we've got a couple of comments, and I, I do think this is, I, you know, Raymond is, uh, I, I've written songs, and exposing your soul in a song is, is, a, is a brave thing to do, and I, uh, good, good luck to him, but uh, Bridges, uh, Reboo Bridges has, has posted on Facebook, if that song was the UK entry, we stand less of a chance than our normal, normal major fail. It was awful. Exactly. Peter Warby says, next door's cat has got more chance. <laughs> What's up, Ophelia? Are you crying? Has it touched you? No. No. Funny. I'm sorry. Uh, Ophelia, I'll ask you the question. What songs have you ever written? No, I... Well, I... Oh, exactly. Unbelievable. Dancing in the light. It's quite catchy. It's growing on me. It really is the kind of thing that does annoy me, because I'm I'm a grumpy old man, and, and I embrace that. But there is a Luton couple that have been so fed up with rubbish being dumped outside their property over the years. The council, very generously, put up a no-fly tipping sign. Then the other week, council contractors ignored that and dumped a load of flies. No, hang on a second. Dumped a load of rubbish. Well, lots of you have been looking at the Facebook uh, page and leaving your comments. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Uh, there is a picture there. Gervain says, even when you report fly tippers, they don't do very much unless you've got indisputable evidence, such as a photo or a film. So that's what these residents need to set up floodlights and a camera. Well, yeah, a, a, a camera can't be beyond the power of the council to install, can it? Chris says, fly tippers dump rubbish anywhere. It can be a street, a country road or private land. It's hard to prove who dumped the rubbish as it could be residents, contractors or bone idle people. People are quick to complain to the council that they should do something, but with no proof, how can they? And even with the proof, will the costs pay off after chasing the tippers? Councils are strapped. It is. Chris, you you can't be saying that they should not complain to the council. Of course they should. Colin says her friend was driving in beds when she saw fly tipping in progress. She called the police, who asked her if she was willing to testify against the tippers. She said, if you come now, you'll catch them and not need me as a witness. 
police that they did not have anyone available to attend and again pressed her to be a witness. She refused on the grounds that she felt she would be targeted for retribution. Well, this is uh, happening outside Jerry and Mandy Galvin's house in Denham Close, and we can speak to Mandy Galvin now. Morning, Mandy. Morning. So, what's been left? This has happened several times. What's been left by the side of your house? Well, the latest incident, um, we've got contractors in the area putting in new um, kitchens for the council, and we got home Tuesday evening and they'd dumped all the old um, kitchens that they'd ripped out of the premises next to our house. And ironically, um, it does say, um, we've got um, a sign on there saying no fly tipping. <laughs> well, I, I, to, to be honest, Maddie, it makes a cracking picture, because, know. you know, you have got that, that, <laughs> that wonderful sign quite high up, and then below it, a load of old junk. What did yeah. you think when you came home on Tuesday and saw well, all we, of this? We couldn't believe it, really. I mean, we did get onto the council straight away. I mean, it was quite late in the evening, but we even phoned the sort of emergency number, because we have had rubbish dumped outside before... And um, on one occasion, it did get set fire to, which is obviously really dangerous. Um, so Who? my husband, they said they'd come out and move it, and they didn't. So my husband had to move it all away from our premises on his own. So <laughs> Who who set fire to it? Do you know? Um, I think it was children in the past. It happened sort of like the early hours of the morning. Well, yeah, they shouldn't be out at the early hours of the morning, no, let alone setting fire no. to, to rubbish. <laughs> So Certainly. what kinds of things, so this time it was, it was um, kitchens and things, what, what kinds of things have been dumped there in the past, Mandy? Um, on one occasion we did actually have a gas canister, which was obviously quite dangerous. Oh, it's, right, yeah, that's nice. general rubbish that they're too lazy to sort of take up to the rubbish tip, really. How far away is the rubbish tip from you? Um, probably about a 10, 15 minute drive. Wow. And, you know, the council do come and pick it up free of charge if you leave it out on the bin day and sort of arrange it with them. So I can't understand why people are so lazy to do it, really. Now, this the, the no-fly tipping sign that's up there, and again, people can look at this on the Facebook page and see this picture, that was put there because of your complaints, wasn't it? It was, because of this fire incident. Um, obviously, we um, got in touch with the council. The fire brigade actually had to come, and so the council actually put that um, notice there on our behalf. And then it's ironic that it's their contractors who are now sort of, you know, leaving all the mess there. Now, the stuff has been cleared away, hasn't it? It has, but it took until Friday evening, so, and we reported it on the Tuesday. Oh, you don't want that. And I do only think it's because yourselves got involved. I mean, we phoned, we actually emailed an official complaint, sent in the photo, and nothing seemed to um, be done until I know you got in touch with them on our behalf midday Friday. Yeah, well... That's, and then that's they sort of straight out within about ten minutes. <laughs> Mandy, that's what we like to do. That's that's yeah, what we. That's yeah. one of the many reasons that that, that we hear. Uh, have the council said anything to you? No, they haven't. There was a note through our door to just say um, apologies. The um, rubbish will be moved within ten minutes, and this was about ten past twelve on Friday. But right. they haven't really been in touch with us since. See, oh, actually, I think they did come and see my husband. Right. When I was at it's work fine. That it's fine. them moving it. Okay, but if it's there contractors they're people yeah. that are dumping it there then that then then they surely have the powers to so they've sent us a little um, statement luton borough council says it can confirm that the offending items originally left by your home have been removed from the area it apologizes to residents unreservedly for this unacceptable situation and it will ensure a thorough investigation is undertaken good enough well, um, you know, I'd, I'd like to sort of see them um, fined, if anything, because, you know, other people, you can get, like, an £80 fine, so you hear, you know, cases quite rightly, so if people 
um, you know, throw cigarettes out of their car and things like that, they get fined. So, you know, surely if they're representatives of the council, they should either be fined or even have the contract taken away from them if they can't be responsible enough to move the rubbish after them. You're right, my friend Dougie got fined £80 for dropping a cigarette butt, which I found amazing. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> excuse me, but, but this, it looks like they're probably going to get... A slapped wrist. Yes, yes. Have you seen the contractors? Are, are they? Where, where are they doing this work? In your street? Yes, opposite our uh, opposite our house. Have, in terms of the, uh, have you gone and had a word with them? No, no, because we're at work during the day, right. so we don't really get to sort of um, see them. Yeah. Um, um, but I know they are going to be doing other kitchens in the area, and that's just my concern. Obviously, I don't think after all this they will. No. But you know, if this hadn't have happened, or we hadn't have complained, you know, it could have just been happening again. Really. I would be yes, I would be. It, they would be especially foolish <laughs> if they were to do it again. But you, you, you never know. I, I, I would never. Say, what What are you and your husband like, Mandy? Are you Are you are either of you quite feisty? Not really. No. no I certainly, I, I'm certainly not. My husband's no. probably more out of out of the two. He's not feisty. He just, you know, he just doesn't like, um, you know, injustice and things. And obviously, he's quite protective of the, the family. And he was yeah. just worried. I think, you know, that it was quite frightening when that fire got. Yeah, hit. of course. A few years ago now, but um, and, and we try and keep our, you know, we all go to work. We work hard. We try and keep our environment nice. Yeah. And um, you know, it's just an eyesore, really. You know, Marsh Farm has got a bit of a reputation, but there's a lot of decent people yeah. living here who want to keep our areas nice. Mandy, if I were you, I mean, if, if I were you, I would go and have a word with those buildings and say, Oi! <laughs> you, don't you dare do that again! But if that's not in your nature, that's not in your nature. But I would suggest that you keep badgering the council and say, Look, this is great, this has been cleared up. Can we get an apology, please, and an, yeah. a, and an assurance that none of your contractors will be doing this again? Yeah. I think yeah. that I think that's definitely worth... Pursuing, and now they know that BBC Three Counties are are involved, then uh, that that might give you a little bit more weight. Definitely, definitely, I shall certainly do that. I shall write to them today. Do give them, do send them a letter, Mandy. Listen, thank you very much. <clears throat> it kind of, it kind of sounds like a trivial thing. Go and look at the picture. It's not. Facebook.com forward slash BBC Three CR. And if the, if this stuff's be, been set alight in the past, and a gas canister has been left behind, I I was. I would be stomping over there, knocking on the door and saying, Oi! That lot! Move it! You do that again, you wait and see what happens. 08459 four double five five double five is the telephone number. All over the place this morning. We're talking about um, fake tans as well. There's a, a, a thing in the um, the mail. The fake tanning products. This is, these are just the, the, the products, the creams and things. This isn't the sunbeds. These are the creams and the sprays. They're worth £100 million a year in the UK alone. What? Who is buying this stuff? Why are you buying this stuff? Just make do with what you've got. Listen, when in the summertime, when I, I, I put my shorts on, it's not a pretty sight. Horrible bandy legs. Don't laugh, producer Laurie. Don't laugh. What, what are you laughing for? I'm just picturing your legs. But the... And that, why is that? And why is that making you laugh? Well, you've you've got a bit of chest on show today. Yeah, a little bit of chest. Yes, and I'm kind of seeing a bit of hair. Yeah. And so when you said that, I kind of started thinking about your legs. Yes. And I'm thinking kind of you're you're tall and you're slender, and I'm kind of thinking you're, thin legs. But where is the hairy? I, I'm not sure. I want to see them. I don't want to see them. What's wrong with those, those bad boys? Well, that's not very pleasant. Huh? What a rude noise. How rude. That's my producer. I work with her every day. I say work with her. We sit next to each other. I don't know if it's... Uh, I don't know if it's... Uh, thank you, Laura. But I don't... I, listen, I don't get my legs out very often. They are a little bit bandy. 
Uh, and they get their hair, there's nothing wrong with, with that. I'm not going to wax them, for goodness sakes. I'm not Darius. Darius, is he still popular with the kids these days? I don't know. <laughs> but, but they come... I'm, I'm, what I'm saying is, I'm not going to put a bit of fake tan on so that when I go on the beach or walk through the, the town in my shorts, so people, people think, oh, he's, not, he's got brown legs. Why would I do... Why would anyone use fake tan? There's no need for it. Ben and Bucks has emailed. Women who use fake tan, in my opinion, are trying too hard to look like celebrities. It's not a nice look. Be proud of the skin colour or tone you have, as women who look natural, e.g. pale, are far sexier. I agree! That kind of China doll thing, the, the porcelain, the, the, the milky look. <laughs> I don't know if girls like being described as, as looking milky. I don't know if that's a particularly affectionate or sexy term. But men prefer that. Women, listen, men prefer the natural looks. We all, you know, the, the fake boobs and all of that. There's a thing for fake bum implants as well these days. What's going on? 08459 455 555. I want to speak to you if you use the fake tan. We'll be speaking to Justin Dealey a bit later on. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to work out if I can get him to tell both of his sunbed stories. He can definitely tell one. The other one... I think it's a little bit too rude. I think it's a little bit too rude to tell. You're still getting your comments on Raymond's Eurovision song. We'll play a little bit more of it uh, a a bit later in the show. But uh, Paul says, I think Raymond's Euro song was great, and he deserves to get his GCSE for that coursework. Paul says, his song should be fly-tipped. No, no, come on now. Fifi's got a good suggestion. Maybe Raymond should make the song available for download and see who buys it. That's not a bad idea. This will give him an indication about the winnability of the song. Yeah. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning. Coming up in the next 30 minutes, the Queen has spent the night in hospital in London, suffering from gastroenteritis. I'll have the latest on how she is next. And the Chief Constable of Bedfordshire Police has been in the news this weekend. Why? Well, because of the way he boosts staff morale. It's a handy little tip. I think we could all learn from it. I'll reveal all in the next 20 minutes. 08459 455 555. Now, the Queen has spent the night at the King Edward Seventh Hospital in London, where she's being treated for the symptoms of gastroenteritis. She was taken by car from Windsor Castle to the hospital yesterday, two days after first becoming ill. Our reporter, Simon Thompson, joins us now. Morning, Simon. What's the latest on the Queen's condition? Well, we're told that she spent the night in hospital uh, in a comfortable position. She's not bedridden, we believe, although there'll be no further updates from either the hospital or Buckingham Palace because the Queen doesn't want health bulletins issued about her condition. Now, she is, of course, 86, and so doctors were concerned about her symptoms of gastroenteritis. That's why they wanted her to go to hospital. She was driven there in a private car yesterday, didn't want to go in ambulance, didn't want uh, fuss being made, we're told, and although... Her own details of her illness first emerged on Friday night and she was forced to cancel a trip to Swansea on Saturday to Mark St David's Day. She did carry out a medal presentation at Windsor Castle yesterday uh, where she'd been resting over the weekend to a member of her staff and she's said to be in good spirits despite the fact she's in hospital uh, rather reluctantly. How long is she expected to be in hospital for? 
Well, there's no guarantee of, 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 of how long that will be. But, uh, and as I say, certainly there'll be no health bulletin updates uh, from either the hospital or Buckingham Palace. But we believe that in her condition, it's likely that doctors will want to be observing her for about 48 hours or so and make sure that she gets plenty of liquids. Uh, uh, dehydration, uh, really the biggest uh, concern amongst those uh, in their latter years and indeed uh, who may be having, having other potential underlying health problems. Uh, not that the Queen, of course, necessarily does, but, but certainly they want to be monitoring her to check whether there is anything else to, to, to watch out for. But certainly all official engagements for this week, including her trip, planned trip to Rome to meet the Prime Minister there, have been either cancelled or postponed. A reception at Buckingham Palace tomorrow for MPs and members of the European Parliament, we're told, will go ahead, but with other members of the Royal Family present. And a palace spokesman has just said through, uh, uh, said, uh, through Buckingham Palace that uh, she was admitted to hospital simply to enable doctors to better assess her. There is no cause for alarm. She's not been in hospital for a while, has she? She hasn't, in fact. It's ten years ago since uh, her last admission to hospital. That was for uh, a couple of minor knee operations. Uh, she's rarely in hospital, in fact. In fact, she's uh, 86 years old, uh, so she's getting on in terms of uh, years, but so very active and has given no sign that she wants to cut down her, her uh, engagement at all throughout the year. And, of course, it's her husband who's been in hospital more recently, the Duke of Edinburgh. He was admitted to the same hospital, King Edward VII Hospital, in central London last year as a result of the Diamond Jubilee celebrations and he was standing out of course in, in that pageant on the river in, in cold winds and of course the rain and, and had a bladder infection as a result but it's also the same hospital that the Duchess of Cambridge was admitted to in December last year with severe morning sickness in the early stages of her pregnancy and th- th- there is uh, something unusual about the people guarding her Yes, this is the sort of story where absolutely nothing happens for photographers and their lenses and journalists. They're looking for anything they can talk about that's different from standing in the same street outside the same entrance with no updates of of any sort. So they found it because yesterday they discovered that PC Anthony Wallin is seven foot two inches, was standing alongside PC Tony Fitch who is actually five foot six inches. Oh, they are, in fact, the tallest and wonderful. shortest serving Metropolitan Police officers, we believe. And someone had great fun on the rotors over the weekend, putting them t- together. Uh, they're known as Big Tone and Little Tone. It's not the first time they've served together, uh, but obviously made a, a great sight for, for cameras, camera lenses outside the entrance to the hospital. PC Wallin, the taller of the two, we understand, is, has a custom-made uniform and wears size 17 shoes, Jeez. minus size 9. He gets 500 requests for photographs each day, he says, it's like being famous, but without the cash. Wow, thank you very much for that, Simon. Suddenly this story's got a bit more interesting. By the way, Australia, leave her alone, all right? Leave her alone. Don't go doing none of that nonsense with our Queen. Well, how serious is gastroenteritis? Dr Peter McIntyre is a, oh, here we go, is a gastroenterologist from the QE2 hospital. Morning, Doctor. Good morning, how are you? Um, yeah, I'm fine, thank you. The better than the Queen. What exactly is gastroenteritis, and, and how serious is it? Okay, um, well, itis means inflammation. Enteritis is inflammation of the intestines. Gastritis is inflammation of the stomach. So gastroenteritis we tend to use when uh, people have a combination of diarrhea from the intestinal inflammation and vomiting or nausea from the gastric inflammation. The Queen is nearly 87. I I would imagine that that possibly makes it a bit more serious, does it? Only in that older people tend not to... Uh, tolerate um, acute illnesses quite as well. The difficulty with uh, gastroenteritis is that when any of us have got diarrhoea, the important thing is to replace that lost fluid. And if you are nauseated, you've lost your appetite, and you're vomiting, then doing that becomes uh, more difficult. 
And how long does it take to recover normally? It's usually a, a, a short-lived illness, um, two, three, four days, depending on the bug that's causing it. It can be either a viral or, or bacterial bug. Uh, so people have two, three, four days uh, when they're unwell, then about the same period of time afterwards as they fully recover and go back to normal. <coughs> so the, 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 we shouldn't be too worried about this. The, the odds are that the, the, Her Majesty's going to be OK. Yes, indeed. Excellent stuff, Dr Peter McIntyre. Thank you very much. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Should have a quick look at the front pages. The Independent. Iraq, ten years on from the war, it's a failed state run by gangs that are more important than law. A series of landmark reports by Patrick Cockburn. Uh, and twinned with Belarus, Tories betray Britain's human rights reputation. Government attacks on human rights legislation were condemned last night as an unhinged betrayal of British values destined, destined to destroy the country's reputation on the world stage. What? As the Home Secretary and Justice Secretary separately threatened to draw back from the European Court of Human Rights, the party was accused of being in disarray and caving into the right after its humiliating defeat in Eastley, uh, the Eastleigh by-election. Uh, the Guardian. There's uh, Cardinal Keith O'Brien, who says he fell below the standards of the Catholic Church, uh, effectively admitting he breached celibacy rules. I was confused by this picture because he looks like Morrissey. No disrespect, I, I, I was looking at Morrissey in another newspaper, and I thought, oh, Morrissey's on the front page. It's not. It's Cardinal Keith O'Brien. Uh, he admits to sexual misconduct. Cardinal Keith O'Brien, who was forced to resign by the Pope last week, has made a dramatic admission he was guilty of sexual misconduct throughout his career. Uh, kidnap victim, this is still on The Guardian, government must me- say sorry. And here's something which uh, requires further investigation. US doctors make history by curing child born with HIV. Doctors in the US have made medical history by effectively curing a child born with HIV. The first time such a case has been documented. Let's have a look at the Daily Telegraph. There's the Queen. Queen in good spirits, says the palace. Uh, wake up and cut taxes, top Tories tell the Chancellor. Pressure on Osborne from all sides kickstart economy by helping firms and consumers. Um, proof that... Th- this is the front page of the Telegraph, right? Proof that the mating instinct conquers all. It is a phenomenon many will have experienced after a few drinks. Known as beer goggles, it can transform the most ordinary face into something far more attractive. Now an expert claims to have a scientific explanation. Oh, for goodness sakes. Go and cure cancer. Go and find out why that girl doesn't got AIDS anymore. The research, some people appear to lower the, the research. The reason some people appear to lower their standards temporarily while under the influence is not because their perception of others has changed. It's just that they still have the urge to mate while other functions, including self-control, are impaired. According to a new book, there's a whole book on this. Dr Amanda Ellison, senior lecturer in the Department of Psychology at Durham University, claims that the brain is designed to, so that the urge to mate is preserved above all else. Well, it is. You get a bit boozed up. You feel a bit fruity. There's no one good-looking in the pub, so you got, you'll do. Yeah, you'll do. The Times. Oh, there's a picture of the tall man and the short man. Um, th- th- that's weird because the tall... Well, well, it's not that weird, is it? But the tall man has got, like, the face of a boy, but the body of two men. It's very strange. Um, these are the two gentlemen, uh, guarding the, um, uh, the Queen, who's in hospital with, uh, stomach bug. 
Cabinet in revolt over extra £10 billion budget cuts. Big spending ministers vow to defend their turf. David Cameron faced a deepening cabinet revolt on spending last night after both Vince Cable and Philip Hammond joined the battle against further cuts to departmental budgets. This is after the uh, the military said, hey, steady on Cameron, no more. No more cuts or we're sending the boys and the girls round. SFO rocked by corruption and cronyism claims. The serious fraud office was nearly put, torn apart by allegations of cronyism, misuse of public funds and possible corruption against some of its top bosses. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> a frog in my throat. I do apologise. I'm hoping that's um, getting you on to work a little bit better. The Daily Mail. Queen rushed to hospital with suspected vomiting bug, but she refuses ambulance, works up to the last minute and tells worried aides, don't make a fuss. The Daily Express also has that story. Stomach bug puts Queen in hospital for the, for the first time in ten years. And you hope and fight against diabetes. A simple once-a-day jab which could revolutionise the lives of millions with diabetes is now available on the NHS. The groundbreaking drug, a longer-lasting type of insulin, costs just £2.20 a day. In order to keep their diabetes under control, many patients have to inject themselves with insulin several times a day. But now you can do it once a day. Wow. <clears throat> the Sun... Uh, her Majesty the Queasy. Stomach illness floors her for work. Really? I mean, that's um, the best they can do, is it? 08459 four double five five double five is the telephone number. Um, we had to, we've been talking about this fly tipping. Um, this great picture. It's, it's an incredible picture. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR uh, of uh, a, a, family, uh, a family's home that's been regular... A place for fly tippers to hang out well they're not hanging out there but they're tipping their flies john says i love walking in the countryside but it does make my blood boil while i come across dumped fridges three-piece suites asbestos sheeting the list is endless i witnessed fly tipping a couple of years ago reporting the incident to the council supplying all details of the vehicle registration and a description of the driver they didn't want to know their reply was unless he commits this crime again and someone reports him they're not interested Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Oh, this is exciting! Nick Coffer, he's got Charlie Lansborough on. I know. Now, some of you are going. Who? I'll say the name again. Charlie Lansborough. Again, some of you are going. Uh, is a country and western legend. Charlie Lansborough is a hero. He's on the Nick Coffer show today from twelve. Wowzers. Well, that's, I'm, listen, I'm tuning in. I'm sticking around the building until then to make sure I get reception. Nick Coffer, from midday, he's got other stuff. I wouldn't even bother with the other stuff. He's got Charlie Lansborough. It probably sounds like I'm being sarcastic. I'm not. Charlie Lansborough is fan- No, he's fantastic. I'm going through a huge country thing at the moment, and so thumbs up. Nick Coffer, midday today. Oh, I got a little bit too excited there. I'll try and calm down now. OK, I think this is actually genuinely an exclusive to BBC Three Counties Radio. I've got the latest on the situation with the Queen. This comes in an email from my wife, so I don't know how accurate it is. She says that our eldest son has just told her the Queen is sick in hospital and she caught it from our baby. He said the baby's sick, travelled in a helicopter to the Queen. So uh, we will be... Inv- I don't know if that's, if that's actually what happened. That's what my eldest son, the three-year-old, said to my wife. We'll be investigating that and giving you updates throughout the day. Now, I've been asking this morning whether you think it's a bit tacky, a bit naff, a little bit sad to have a fake tan 
Well, our uh, orange correspondent, Justin Dealey, you, you live you live in uh, fake town worlds, don't you? <laughs> I, I do like the fake town, yes, because it makes me feel more confident. When you saw me tanned up the other week, yeah. for real, yeah. you thought I looked amazing, you were telling but, me that you love me, so, so why well, not be tanned up? I'm not sure that's true, but also... It is true. Uh, the, well, the real tan, it does make you feel better, because yes. it's all the vitamins and all <laughs> the chemicals you've got from the sun. Stapping yeah. on a bit of brown from a bottle just makes you look like a numpty. No, it doesn't. It makes you look healthy. Come on, there's nothing wrong with it whatsoever. You knocking people this morning, going out, buying fake tan, they're doing nothing wrong. It's they're not sad. illegal. It's making them feel better. It's not, no, it's not illegal, Justin. <laughs> I'm not saying that. I've not Just, once said it, they're breaking the law. It makes them feel good about themselves. And if it makes them feel good about themselves, who are we to argue with that? Come people on. are laughing. You know, most people, when they do it themselves at home, hmm. they've got the streaked legs, or yeah. they've got one hand is darker than the other hand. Yeah. They, they, yeah. It looks awful. How do you know this? Who do I know this? How do you know this? <laughs> you've been doing it yourself, haven't you? I've seen, I've seen. You've been doing it yourself, I know you. Have you been speaking to people, Justin? Yes, I'm in Luton this morning, talking things fake tan, and Ian, it's actually prompted some very angry reaction oh. from one lady in particular. Take a listen to this. Now, madam, you don't use fake tan, but obviously you see other people who do use it. What's your thoughts when you see somebody who's looking a bit orange? Not well. Simple. Simple, really simple, seriously. I mean, there's no need to go out like that. I mean, there, there is no need. There's, I mean, there's sunbeds. If they want to get a colour, yeah. go and use the sunbeds. But some of them people, they used to fake tan, put too much on. They look a disgrace. They look terrible. A disgrace? A disgrace, yeah. Right. For us women, and we're women, and I think they look sick. I think they look physically sick. I mean, have you noticed it getting worse in, say, the last five years or so? Is it getting even more extreme these the days? The youngsters is worse than what, like, you know, like, if you look at some of the young girls now, like, you know... It's not often I go out, but when I go out and you look at some of the answers and you think, wow, my God, look at the state of them. I was never like that. Maybe I'm old, I don't know. Now, John, honest answer, please. Do you prefer your women pale or orange? To be absolutely honest, somewhere in between. You know, you take it to the extreme. I just, sometimes the orangey thing is a little bit worrying. Yeah. Bit of a turn-off. Now, you've got a major issue with bodybuilders, because when they go orange, they really do go orange, don't they? Well, I just noticed that just lately, these guys have got extreme bodies, and they haven't got any fat on, and plus, the colour is just beyond belief. It's they look so ridiculous, then. Worryingly. Worryingly ridiculous. Where are you aiming for? Where, where's it going to be in a few years' time? How dark? You, you know what I mean? Is you know how far are you going to take it? Well, I've eventually found somebody who does wear fake tan. Sophie's with me. Sophie, you're 23. When do you wear fake tan? Uh, just when I go out at night time, going out in town. And tell us why you wear it. Uh, just to make me feel better. I don't like using sunbeds because of the cancer and everything. So. I prefer just to use fake tan, just when I don't have a, ta- a natural tan. Now, do you get it right, though? Do, do you look tanned up, or do you look a bit orange? Um, well, my dad's really strict on fake tan, so he tells me if I look orange or not. <laughs> and he tells me to go have a wash, so I think I get it right. <laughs> but on the whole, it's just a confidence thing for you. When you go out, when you socialise, if you, if you feel more tanned, you feel more confident. Yeah. Justin? Yes? You made up a word. What's that, then? Tanda. <laughs> tanda. <laughs> yeah, you said tanda. Did I say tanda? Yeah. Oh, you can make your own words. I, I think it, you it, mean more tanned. If people say that word enough, it can then go into the English dictionary. That's M- a fact for Most you. people agree with me. You look no, ridiculous. No, no. <laughs> Do you know what? A disgrace, physically sick, and worryingly <laughs> ridiculous uh, from three people. <laughs> s- some extreme views. And that first lady, how angry was she? She was furious. She furious. was furious. Now, listen, we are talking about fake time. We're also discussing a little bit about the sunbeds. And despite, as that girl said, the cancer and stuff... Mm. 
you have used a sunbed, haven't you? Yes, I do use them uh, very occasionally. I don't use them all the time, and th- there is a method to my madness here. Yeah. Uh, before I go away on a holiday, um, what I like to do is prepare <laughs> my skin. <laughs> so, so I have a few sunbeds. This is ridiculous. But, uh, no, I do that. And um, a few years ago, yeah. uh, the first time I used them, I just went straight in there. I took wallop. everything off. Yeah. yeah, quite literally, wallop. Everything was off, and uh, th- there was a certain part of my body which doesn't normally get the sun or any sun rays at all and as you can imagine i got burnt in an area which i didn't really want to get burnt your winky got sunburned yes didn't it? it wasn't very nice at all it got very very hot put it that way and then and then uh, and i hope you rub cream on and yes. then was there another instance where you left your socks on yes i left my socks on again i was in a hurry obviously i was doing work for you it's 24 7 with you and it's oh justin yes. can you go and do this it's yep. seven o'clock at night no you've got to go and do it so i rushed into the sunbed uh, i left my pants on this time i learned from my mistakes in the past i also left my socks on as well so when i went away recently um, the only place i did get burnt was on my feet so yes i look stupid again justin dilly thank you very much indeed now how does your boss keep morale up at your place alf hitchcock the chief constable of bedfordshire police has been in the news this weekend because he buys biscuits to keep morale up more than you get here let me tell you that he buys broken biscuits for the Bedfordshire force out of his own pocket so they go a little bit further. Well, Jim Mallon is chairman of the Bedfordshire branch, branch of the Police Federation. Morning, Jim. Morning, Ian. Have you had any of uh, Alf's biscuits? Yes, I have. Um, I'm, I'm very pleased to say I have them on a regular basis with, with Mr Hitchcock uh, about once a month. In fact, just last Friday he's branched out to get him uh, flapjacks as opposed <laughs> to biscuits, so it was a nice, uh, a nice uh, turn of events. It, that is, I'm laughing, but that is a really, that is a nice thing to do. do, 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 do who's allowed to, to put their hand in his tin? Is, is it just open policy? Anyone can have a, grab a couple of biscuits? Well, it'd, it'd be nice if it was, Ian, but unfortunately it seems to be restricted to the more senior officers. Oh. I mean, uh, what would be nice is if Mr Hitchcock uh, progressed down the stairs to, to give some of the patrol officers some. I'm sure they'd be delighted well, uh, to receive a biscuit. The campaign starts here, Mr Hitchcock, if you're listening. Get, get those bis- broken biscuits and flapjacks. Give your flapjacks to the boys and girls serving on the front line, for goodness sakes. But it, 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 I'm guessing it, it, it creates slightly nice feeling that he's doing this out of his own pocket. When you hear about everyone making cutbacks and everyone trying to save a few quid, for someone to, even though they're broken biscuits, to spend a couple of quid of their own money is a nice thing to do, isn't it? I think it is. I mean, I know, I know it's a fairly light-hearted story, but it, it, does, it, does, it does go towards uh, Mr Hitchcock's view. He is, he, is a, he is a generous individual in a lot of ways, and I think, I think this is just, uh, you know, a, a branch of his, of his generosity. Um, but, but, I mean, when I spoke to him last Friday about this, in fact, he, he did say to me that he hadn't realised they were broken biscuits for quite some time. Uh, and he kept on wondering why, when he's presented with a plate of biscuits in meetings, they're always broken, because he, he hadn't read the packaging properly. Uh-huh. Um, he didn't, he didn't know that he was buying broken <laughs> biscuits? No, 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 he didn't. But, uh, but I guess with, with, the, with the cost and everything else, uh, I think he'll probably maintain it now. It's, uh, it's, started, it's, it's created quite a bit of, of mirth and so forth on Twitter uh, with some of my colleagues across the, across the region nationally. Do you think more chief constables should take a leaf out of Mr Hitchcock's book? Yes, I do. I think I think you should follow suit, Ian, because it's quite a nice thing to do when you when you you show your staff you do care about them. And whilst it's a small gesture, you know, I do think it goes a long way to you know make people feeling a bit happier about about their lots, particularly police officers who who have a very difficult job uh, day by day. Flapjacks now, Jim. Where would you like him to go next? Krispy Kreme, something like that? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm more a sort of Jaffa cake man, but uh, yep. anything with chocolate on here would be nice for me. Jim, listen, thank you very much. Jim Mallon, chairman of the Bedfordshire branch of the Police Federation. Mr Hitchcock, if you're listening, two things. Jim wants Jaffa, OK? Jim wants Jaffa. Get him Jaffa. And come on, Mr Hitchcock, please. Get, get that tin of biscuits. 
take it down to the front desk. Not for the punters, they can, you know, fair play, they've, they're they probably troublemakers and, and ne'er-do-wells, don't give it to them. But for the boys and girls in blue who serve us so proudly, let them have a nibble on your flapjacks, please. I'm begging you, Mr Hitchcock, Chief Constable of Bedfordshire Police, let your officers nibble on your flapjacks. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. You heard um, uh, Justin there talking about tans and things. I do want your stories. If we, we've had surprisingly few people in defence of the fake tan, if anybody can defend it, oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. And I don't get that thing of oh yeah, I get. It was Justin was saying there. I get, I get a bit of a tan before I go on holiday. What? Why? That's what the holidays. What? What? what you're embarrassed. To go and strip off on the beach on that first day? That you're going to look pale by the pool? That worries you? That concerns you? That's, that, that's what... It's, if you're going to go on a sun-worshipping holiday, they go, I very rarely get a tan. Because I just go, like, factor 50 or something. And so I don't really kind of tan. And then there'll be a day when I forget to do it and I'll burn. But that's it. But 08459 455 555. Do you fake tan? Or do you think it... It looks a bit trashy. It looks cheap. And you see all these tarty girls and these horrible blokes going out on a Friday night with their fake tans, and you think, no, no, that doesn't work. BBC Three Counties Radio, first for news. You um, passed 31 many, many years ago. Do you, <laughs> do you reckon you could still, you know, shake it on the gymnastic floor? I can still do the splits. Go on, then. Oh. All right, hang on. See? Fan fantastic. <laughs> Ouch. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Someone go upstairs and help Catherine get back up, please. I, I, we, we need her in 30 minutes' time. It would be a shame to, uh, to lose her like that. Lots coming up between now and nine, between now and JVS. Including, people should not be attracted to the UK just by the benefits available. That's according to William Hague. Well, the government is looking at changing the rules. I'll be speaking to the Chief Executive of Population Matters to see what he thinks. How bad is fly-tipping where you live? Well, it happened so much outside a Luton couple's home that the council put up a sign warning people not to do it. Their, their own council contractors went and dumped the rubbish. Have a look at the picture on facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. And a Buckinghamshire songwriter thinks the Eurovision Song Contest rules are unfair and should be changed. The way it's set up, it means that his song could never be a Eurovision entry, and he thinks it's winning material. If you haven't heard his song, In the Light, I'll play a bit of it to you in a little bit, and you can give me your verdict. Lots of ways to get in touch. I've given you the Facebook. You can uh, text 81333, start your text, 3CR, or you can give us a call, 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. All that talk of uh, biscuits in the last hour has got, I really fancy, like a hobnob, or you can get those chocolate digestives, can't you? But they've got caramel as well. It's like two of the best biscuits in one. Although, let's be honest, the greatest biscuit of all time, and it really works with a cup of tea, your custard cream. Your custard cream. Some places you can buy giant custard creams now. They're the size of a baby's head. Wonderful stuff. 08459 455 555. 
Changes to the rules governing access to benefits, healthcare and housing for British citizens are being considered by the government. They want to make it more difficult for new arrivals in the UK to access these forms of welfare. Councils will be urged to use new powers to give priority to those on housing waiting lists with local connections. Simon Ross is the Chief Executive of Population Matters. Morning, Simon. Good morning. What do you think of these proposed changes? I think they make sense. People from Romania and Bulgaria, which have you know, much lower wages than living standards than they do here, could live anywhere they could, they do, they want to in the EU. If we, if it's much easier for them to come here than it is for other countries, then they're going to come here. So we have to, uh, I think, not be out of step with the rest of Europe. Why is it easier for them to come here? It's about getting access to to benefit benefits uh, in terms of. Um, do they have to have a, have a contribution? You know, in some countries in Europe, you have to work for a few years before you get benefits, for example. Or perhaps you've got some history of living in a place before you're entitled to um, get social housing. So it's that access to, to government um, benefits and subsidies that I think um, is, is much easier in the UK than it is in some countries. What evidence do you have, Simon, that, that people are coming from abroad to um, just get benefits and housing and things like that? I think it's quite hard to quite hard to measure that. Uh, I tell you why I mention that because we spoke to migrant the migrant rights network earlier on, mm. and they said that they've done research, and that's not really why most people come over here. They come here to work, and that the the the, the claim that that mi- migrants come here for the benefits is a myth. Well, I, I think they, they perhaps do come here to work, uh, but. Um clearly not all get work, particularly in the current climate when there's a very high rate of unemployment. So people will end up on benefits um, willy-nilly. And increase, um, but in the past, they haven't had the right to have benefits from Romania and Bulgaria. Now they will, so that's a change. Okay. But you, but you have no evidence to, to, to back that up? Uh, not that, no, not that people come okay. here just for benefits, no. Oh, okay. What, what, do, do these changes, do they go far enough for you, Simon? It's really hard to predict, of course, what people will do in Romania and Bulgaria. There's all sorts of decisions when one moves to another country about why they do uh, and, and where they go. Uh, we'll have to almost see what it does. But I think if we get in step with the rest of Europe in terms of access to, to these things, it will make it much more likely that we'll get sort of no more than our fair share, if you like. The, the, these people that come from uh, from these new European countries, they do help a lot don't they i mean the, the, a lot of the kind of lower paid jobs that that british people consider to be beneath them are being done by these migrants kind of things like cleaning in hospitals and working in coffee bars and and, and things like that and also it it doesn't it stimulate competition we got our um house we got a loft conversion done by some polish builders they did a cracking job you know, there's two or three million unemployed in this country, and I think what we need to do, need to do harder is getting those people into work, and whether that's training, um, welfare-to-work schemes, wherever it is. Uh, it doesn't make any sense at all to have millions of people coming here to take jobs when there's millions of people in the country already who are unemployed. But there won't, there won't be millions of, of Romanians, will there? It, it, there is a slight case of throwing out the word millions that's a bit of scaremongering, isn't it? I also that's talking uh, about everybody. Yes, right. for Romanian H- How many million came in last year? Um, in the UK, it's about half a million a year uh, settled in the UK from abroad. And how many leave the UK? It's about 300,000. So... 
It's about 200,000 a year kind of increase. That's, yeah, 200, 250,000, it's that sort of number. Right, which is, which is not, that, that's sustainable, isn't it? Because when, when people hear the phrase, well, there are millions of people coming in, there will be some people, Simon, who are perhaps little uh, uh, less better read than, than, than perhaps you or I, who will genuinely picture, you know, a, a million Polish coming in, two million Indians, half a million Romanians, and 250,000 a year, it, suddenly it sounds a little bit more, more feasible, doesn't it? It does, and the issue is, though, that it's that year after year after year after mm. year, and it builds up, and, you know, the UK population increased by 4 million over the last 10 years. Uh, and it all ties into Britain being, you know, one of the most densely populated countries in Europe. That we do have these issues about housing, about transport, increasingly about things like water and energy, too. So it does, it does create problems because it is this consistent growth that we've seen in the last 10 years. Simon, thanks very much for coming on. I appreciate your time. Simon Ross, Chief Executive of Population Matters. Well, what do you think? Sensible plans? Uh, we just have to be a little bit realistic when people say millions coming in. It's not millions every year. With people coming in and people going out, it's about 200,000 a year extra people that we get. That, that's sustainable, isn't it? Or is it? What do you think? 08459 double five. JVS is going to be talking about this after nine. He's asking, is it unkind or sensible to limit, limit benefits and healthcare for immigrants? You can start calling him now if you want. 08459 455 555. Or you can send him a cheeky email. Well, by cheeky, I don't mean, you know, a picture of your bum or anything. I mean an email. JVS show at bbc.co.uk. Put your name, your number, and a, a couple of lines about what you want to say and you'll, you'll probably get a call back from one of his team. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. On the subject of this fly tipping, and it, and it is, it's a brilliant picture, facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. It is brilliant because, you know, it, it's like something out of a comedy sketch. It's the side of a house, there's a big sign saying fly tipping is prohibited. Beneath it, a load of old junk that's been dumped there by council contractors. Lisa on Facebook says, how does no one see this being dumped? CCTV is the only way you're going to catch who's doing this. And trust me, your neighbours know who are doing this. Well, they've had lot. This poor couple have had lots of different things being done. This latest is from some builders who are working for the council in a house over the road. Now, I spoke to the lady and she doesn't sound the, particularly the confrontational type. I know for a fact I'd be over there banging on the door. Oi, excuse me. I think you may have left that behind. Could you get that now, or I'm calling the cops? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Things like that I get quite feisty about, to be honest. We're also talking um, fake tans. The fake tan industry. This isn't sunbeds. This is just the creams and the lotions. Right? It's worth a hundred million pounds a year in the UK. I think it looks awful. I think it looks terrible. It looks tacky. It looks cheap. I wonder if JVS has ever had a fake tan. Oh, you say it? Well, I, I'm not sure. I bet when he... Th- every time he comes in, I learn a little bit more about him. He used to smoke 40 cigarettes a day. He likes going off to, to Spain and uh, um, Argentina and all these kind of hot, exotic places. I wouldn't be surprised if in the past he's had someone spray all over his face. I bet he has. I'm going to ask him. I'm going to ask him, because I bet he has. I think it looks cheap and nasty and tacky. Gina Nailsbury has emailed, I think as long as you don't go too dark, fake tan shows you're not a twit by going out and getting burnt in the sun. 
when our fake tan generation get old, they will have lovely skin instead of the old leather the sunbathers have. So don't mock. Well, you say that. We don't know what's in these fake tans, do we? This is still comparatively new. Technology? I don't know if technology is uh, quite the word it should be. Um, look, uh, Peter uh, Warby, who... Peter, you spend far... Listen, we appreciate your comments, but have you got nothing better to do in the morning? You're constantly on the Facebook page, and it's lovely to see you there, as always, but, you know... You wait, says Peter. In the next few years, when they say that the chemicals, and they are chemicals, in fake tan can cause cancer, the real sun is natural and better. As for orange girls with bleach white hair, yuck. Oh, that is the new thing, the bleach white hair. I kind of quite like that. When it looks a bit grey. You know when it looks grey? I think that's quite nice. But I don't get the sun, the, 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 the fake sun tan. The cream. It's street. I think it looks common and it looks naff. Which, the more I think about it, makes me think that actually, yes, Jonathan Vernon Smith probably has has it at some point. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. 81333. Start your text 3CR. We'll be playing a little bit later on just a snatch from a local songwriter's um, song that he thinks is Eurovision winning material. And he's angry with the BBC because it's a closed shop. There is no way he could submit his song. And he thinks it could turn it around. Our dismal um, uh, efforts recently could be turned around by his tune. I'll be playing that a little bit later on, so keep listening. be nice to get your thoughts on it. Oh, that was very uh, interpretive dance. You like that? I do like that. Mm. Fake tan. Yes. I, a month ago, mm. I would have said no, you, you would never have liked it. But I'm beginning to find out more and more about you. I know you've got a 52-inch um, television screen. 42. 42. No, you said it was more than that. No, 42. OK, but it's, it's common. I Which know is. you used to smoke 40 cigarettes a day. Mm-hmm. I bet you've had a fake tan or two in your time. Have I have you? had a fake tan. Only on the, the neck upwards. So you've just had someone sp- spray all over your face. No, I've done it myself. You did it yourself. You sprayed on your own face. Yes. And wh- why from the neck upwards? <laughs> well, well because ah! there's no point in doing it below, is there? Well, wh- why, why is there any point in doing it at all? Well, sometimes, when you are blonde and porcelain complexion, like myself, and <laughs> I don't believe that, <laughs> no, but I sometimes yes. look peaky, yes. and I can't bear to look peaky, yes. so there have been times when I've looked particularly peaky in the depths of winter, where I thought, I know, bit of fake tan, yeah. shove the Saint-Tropez on, I'm going to zhuzh myself up. Yeah. And it just makes you feel a little less dead. But why does it make you... F- you're still dead inside, though, Yes, <laughs> That's the thing you need to realise. You're still dead inside. I think it looks common, cheap and nasty. I can imagine you with a Lambert and Butler on, watching um, uh, Cash in the Attic on your 42-incher, with your fake tan, going, yeah, I'm, I'm alive! Cheapest <laughs> chip. I'm alive! <laughs> hey, listen, you um, uh, like uh, music, don't you? You love music. You can play music. You're a musician. Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah. Yes, you love a bit of Neil Sadaka. I love Neil Sadaka. I hear laughter in the rain, walking hand in hand with the one I love. Ooh, how I love... He did a duet of that with his daughter, which I thought was weird. Bit creepy. Yeah. Anyway, so you, you like good, solid melodies. Yes, I do. Well, earlier on, we spoke to a local songwriter, Raymond Marks, oh, who God. he has written a song which he thinks is a potential Eurovision winner, but because of the closed shop system that we at the BBC employ, Mm. it can never be um, even considered. Mm. Would you mind listening to a little bit of it and then giving us your opinion as a a musician yourself? Yes, okay. This is Raymond in the light. (laughs) 
words, but the tune is very, very catchy. That's written by Raymond Marks. Here we go. Up into the night sky. That's Raymond Marks. That's in the light. What, what, what do you think as a, as, a, as a fan of music and I, as a musician? I once went to Walton on the Nays Caravan Park and spent a night there in something called a mobile home. And they have they have a place called the club, where everybody who goes to to this caravan park they go down the club, and in the club there was someone on a keyboard <laughs> and a young girl singing. It it sounded like that. So you thought it was good then? It, is she from Walton on the Nays Caravan Park down the club? Just going to hit this button for a second. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. What's on your show today, Jonathan? Coming up on the big phone in today, I'm asking, is it unkind or sensible to limit benefits and health care for immigrants? Uh, as you've been discussing this morning, ministers are considering changing the rules governing uh, entitlement to some benefits, health care and housing, to make it easier to limit claims by people arriving from other countries. Well, from nine this morning, I want to hear your views. Is it unkind or sensible to limit benefits and health care for immigrants? Uh, do you know what I was thinking about when I heard this story this morning? Yeah. I had a friend uh, over from Argentina last year, and she's, what is she, 64? And we were walking through London. Obviously, she's doing the tourist stuff. Yes. She's walking through London. And she tripped on the pavement. She went, bang, down on the floor, yeah. cut her head open. Oh, it's awful. There's blood all coming down her face. and it, Oh, it's, yeah. it was just awful. And uh, we got her to, to the hospital, got yeah. her to A&E. They were lovely. You know, they, they stitched her, her head up. And they made sure she was okay. And it got to the end, and I said, well, do, do, do we have to pay something? Because I was kind of getting ready to get my credit card out. Yes. I thought, I'll have to pay something. And the, the lady said, no, no, no. No, 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 we wouldn't charge for this kind of thing. No. I said, yes, but she's not British. She's over here on holiday. And she said, no, 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 this kind of thing, we would obviously, right. we would treat her. And do you know what? I thought, isn't that nice? Isn't that nice that here we have a yes. holidaymaker, her memory of the UK when she went back was what a nice caring country when I fell over and cut my head open they yes. looked after me they didn't make anyone pay I just wonder whether removing that kind of thing saying to people oh sorry you've cut your head open oh sorry you're having a heart attack sorry whatever it may be if you're not British if you've not paid into our country then I'm afraid you're just going to be left we're not going to treat you there's Is something unkind well there's something about it it's, it's nice but we, I don't know if you notice we haven't got any money yeah true so we, should we be giving it away well, for this, free. this is what we will discuss oh. at nine this morning. Is it unkind or sensible to limit benefits in health care for immigrants? Do you want to hear that song anymore? Or are you? I'd quite like to leave the studio to it. OK, well, let's, let's, let's hang on a second. I can, I can cue this up. I can do this. I 1984, have... Walton on the Nays Caravan Park. This is now going to be your theme music as the consumer ferret, Raymond in the light. At Jonathan, the away you go. Club. Jonathan! Bye. Bye, JVS! There we go, you've heard it. It's, it's a cracking song. It's, it's, uh, we're being a little bit harsh. I genuinely think that Raymond Marks, I think it's very catchy, very poppy. 08459 455 555. What do you think? Have you, you've heard it? Do you, do you think it's a Eurovision winner? I think, I think JVS is being a little bit stuffy there. Maybe we've got him on a bad day. Is it a Eurovision vi- winner? 
08459 555. Now, fly tipping. A Luton couple gets got so fed up with rubbish being dumped outside their property over a period of years that the council put up an, a f- no fly tipping sign. But then it happened again the other week. Some rubbish was dumped there, quite a bit of rubbish. It was dumped there by the council contractors. It happened outside Jerry and Mandy Galvin's house in Denham Close. Our reporter, Ewan Duncan, spoke to Mandy, who explained what happened. To find a large amount of rubbish fly tip next to our um, house, the adjoining wall of our house, the mess that was left there this week was actually left there by contractors who are refurbishing kitchens within the area. So obviously we're a bit shocked that these contractors who were responsible to the council were dumping the rubbish there and not taking it away in a skip as you know they should. We did immediately phone the council. In fact, my husband phoned the 24-hour emergency line because he was so worried, but they didn't do anything. So my husband had to move the rubbish over to the other side of the road just so that you know it wouldn't affect our house nothing happened um the next night we returned home to find more rubbish and that's when we we did actually email the council with photographs my husband took photographs how often has this happened down the years i think probably about seven times in total really but this has been the worst occasion what items were left by the side of the house this time a lot (laughs) um probably a whole kitchen or maybe two kitchens or you know it went along half the side of the house kitchens that have been taken out old units um tiles flooring just building rubbish really probably about half a a small skip full say yeah i gather on a previous occasion some of the materials that were left by the house were set on fire what happened then it was about three o'clock in the morning it was quite a long time ago so the children were only quite little maybe about four and six and um, there was a knock on the door and it was actually a young lad. I think what had happened, I think him and his friends had set fire to it and he sort of got a bit worried because he noticed that there was a gas bottle by the side and he'd obviously called the fire engine in the meantime and the fire engine had to come, we got evacuated. It. I mean, it, it wasn't um, bad, but it could have been bad and it was just like smoke coming up. And my daughter does sleep on the end bedroom, so it was a bit worrying really. But there are a lot of decent, hard-working people in Marsh Farm and we take pride in our property and you know and it just does bring the area down and it does make people think oh you know marsh farm is full of scumbags and we're not all like that do you feel you got a good response from the council in the end in the end but you know i just think why should we have to you know they should have come and well firstly it shouldn't have happened in the first place but they should have come out that evening what do you feel are the risks when the rubbish is left if it's um, kitchens that have been torn out you don't there could be nails in there screws or anything you know children could hurt themselves on them that would be my concern especially i mean luckily not this week but last week it was half term if had it done it then you know what children are like they would just treat it as a game start climbing all over it and it can't be much fun having to move it away. Your husband's having to do that and wastes yeah. his time. It was raining that night as well, and, you know, and he, he was he was out there a good 20 minutes. Well, we can speak now to Andy Walker, who's from the charity Keep Britain Tidy. Morning, Andy. Good morning to you. How much of a problem is fly-tipping around the UK? Well, it, it, it's clearly a problem, and I think your listener has just explained there, you know, the... You know, I think one of the big things about fly-tipping is its unsightly nature and the effect and the perception that it gives about a particular area. Our latest stats on, on, on the issue um, reveal that there was nearly 820,000 fly-tipping incidents across the whole of the country in 2010-11. That's the most recent stats. We're currently processing new ones. And that was actually down by 13% on the previous year. But, you know, given the fact that um, 
you know, we've got sort of a situation at the moment where, you know, there are council cuts. You've also got, um, you know, all sorts of, you know, companies sometimes springing up saying that they're going to take people's waste away and stuff like that. And we know that there's some of those companies are, uh, shall we say, you know, sort of less than wholesome. Then, uh, you know, there's a possibility that we could see that figure um, actually rising as we uh, as we uh, as we go forward and again as your listener has just said it's totally unacceptable you know there's all sorts of you know there can be dangerous stuff in there nails builders waste all that sort of stuff and really at the end of the day there is no need for it andy what can we do to stop this i think we can raise awareness that's the first thing i think it's although that you know your listener didn't get an immediate response and obviously i can't comment directly on what you know the council were doing in that area but she did the right thing by approaching the local authority uh, you know that's you know that's the first thing i think awareness is really really important we ran a fly tipping campaign a number of years ago where we basically set up a helpline and a hotline and we got people to actually um you know sort of essentially report it better as well because if people think that people are watching out for them you know doing this illegal act then sometimes maybe they're actually going to be uh, less you know less likely to do it so i think that can be done as well i think the awareness thing is very very important and even things you know down to um you know uh, posters and signs going up saying that you know we will take action you will be fined if you actually do this i mean fines in court can be as much as fifty thousand pounds now, you know, that can actually focus the minds of even the most reckless, um, you know, reckless uh, uh, fly tipper. Also, I think, uh, and we've got evidence of this, uh, you know, from our own research with councils, councils can um, publicise their bulky items collection service uh, more widely. They can also publicise various charities who actually offer such a service as well, because many charities do now. And then you can actually, you know, if you like, close the recycling loop on, 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 on something like that. But also, I think one, one important area is we, we know that there's a problem of bogus waste companies who claim to collect waste from homes for, quote, recycling. The residents will pay them to take away a sofa, and then often that item can end up on a, dumped on a grass verge. Well, bona fide companies who offer that service would always carry a certificate called a waste carrier license, and people should really ask to see um, you, know, you know, anyone who comes around to their door offering such a service, because at the end of the day, you're responsible for what you do with your way. So it's, it's, it's awareness, it's to be more diligent. It's also letting people know that this is actually a crime and that people will be prosecuted if they do it. Andy Walker, very quickly, we've got 20 seconds. Uh, Luton, March the 14th, you, you've got a little campaign there. What's going to be happening? Yeah, we, we're basically visiting all of our supporters around the country, actually, on a bit of a Keep Britain Tidy Roadshow, and we've got one on that date. In, uh, in Luton in the evening, we're contacting people that we know about who are involved. I'd be happy to, uh, you know, contact your, you know, people, so hopefully you can give us a bit of publicity for that, but it's just to find out what people want us to do and do it better, basically. And keep fighting the fight. Andy Walker from the charity Keep Britain Tidy. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning. Lots coming up between now and nine o'clock, including a Milton Keynes gymnast is celebrating today after winning gold at the grand old age of 31. Well, I'll be speaking to her coach to find out how she did it. And is Buckinghamshire singer-songwriter uh, Raymond Marx's song good enough for the Eurovision Song Contest? Well, he certainly thinks so. If you haven't heard it, we've, we've put a little snatch of it up on our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Uh, 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 and let us know what you think. You can either leave a comment there or you can give us a call, 08459 455 555.
Now, this is great. A gymnast from Milton Keynes, who last competed at the Sydney Olympics, has become an unlikely gold medalist at the age of 31. Lisa Mason won gold in the 1998 Commonwealth Games, but gave up the sport for 13 years after the Sydney Games. She's now returned to gymnastics and competed this weekend, where she won gold in the vault. Paul Hall is the head coach at her gym in Huntington. Morning, Paul. Good morning. Gymnastics, I always thought, was was children, basically. 13, 14, 15-year-old boys and girl, girls, primarily. How has Lisa managed to compete despite her age? Well, I quite thought it was children as well until Lisa came along a few weeks ago and, and decided to turn that on its head. She's managed it. It's a very, very unique thing, a very rare thing. Um, I can only think of one other lady on the international stage um, from Germany who's competing into her 30s. But it is extremely unusual, very, very difficult to cope with the demands of life and to manage um, the the impact on the body. But she's done it. Why did she um, step away from gymnastics, Paul? (laughs) Well, I think it was the normal thing. At the, end, at the end of the Sydney Olympics, it was a high point of her career, and she was getting near to, to retirement um, in her late teens, early 20s, which is um, normal for gymnasts. But then she came back to, um, to do a display at the 2012 Olympics last year and was quite inspired by the whole thing, looked around and saw the girls and thought she could actually get near to doing the same sort of thing, and lo and behold, she's done it. And when she came up to you and said, Paul, listen, right, I've, got, I've got a crazy idea, right? I want to get back into competitive gymnastics. Did you, did you laugh into your latte? Did you tell her to jog on, or did you think <laughs> that she actually stood a chance? Well, I'd never laugh at anybody, but I did raise an eyebrow, a little bit sceptical, but she's proved me and many other critics wrong. She went along at the weekend and, and did two apparatus and did a fantastic job. Her level of difficulty was the amazing thing. She's, she's still doing almost exactly the same routine she did 12 years ago, and they're more than a match for her contemporaries, which is quite incredible. This must be uh, uh, give you and others hope that um, uh, Olympians and athletes can keep going into a later age. Well, I think it's a lovely story. We've seen Beth Tweddle last year. Um, she was in her mid-twenties. She took a, a medal, obviously, in the Olympic Games. Um, so that's a fantastic result. It proves you can do it. I've always had the thought that the, the, the spirit is the most important thing, and if you've got the mind and the determination to do it, then you can keep the motivation and do amazing things. Lisa's proved just that. 2016, Paul, what do we reckon? Will she, will, she be able, will she be able to hold it all together for the, for the Olympics? Well, step by step. I think she's thinking about 2014 initially to actually get back to a Commonwealth Games. She did the last one in 98 in Kuala Lumpur, and if she can get to, to the one in Scotland in 2014, that would be just an incredible story. She has an eight-year-old daughter that she often goes and watches her doing gymnastics. That would be quite a turnaround to have a daughter going to cheer her mum on. <laughs> How funny. Well, listen, uh, Paul, thank you so much for coming on. I think it's a cracking story. Uh, Paul Hall, uh, head coach in Huntingdon, um, who helped coach uh, Lisa Mason, who's 31 and won a gold medal in gymnastics. Fantastic stuff. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is BBC Three Counties Radio. As you've been hearing all morning, the Queen has spent the night in a hospital in central London undergoing precautionary treatment for the symptoms of gastroenteritis. She was admitted yesterday after becoming ill on Friday. All her engagements for the coming week, including a two-day visit to Rome, have either been uh, postponed or cancelled. She's said to be in good spirits. We're joined now by Dr Kate Williams, who's a royal historian. Morning, Kate. Good morning. The Queen has always appeared fairly stoic during her reign. How, How significant is an event like this, do you think? Well, Ian, this is the first time she's been in a hospital, which has been unscheduled. She served, of course, routine operations. Ten years ago, she had a knee operation. It's the first time she's been in a hospital, which has been an unscheduled visit, which is apart from, say, riding injuries, ever, essentially. So she simply doesn't go into hospital 
for an, for an illness. This is the first time, and which is pretty incredible considering she is nearly 87. So the Queen is someone who doesn't go into hospital. She even had her children at home. So this is something rather significant. It really is. I mean, we're told there's no particular cause for concern, which she's probably going to be out in a couple of days or so, and it is just a precautionary measure. But still, I think it does remind us that she is... She's not, she's not 25 anymore. She does her um, routine. She does her engagement. She works as hard as she ever did, but she simply isn't getting any younger. What's the protocol back at the palace during this time? Well, the palace is, of course, she's still the queen. She is still ruling. She's still reigning. It's not anything like a regency. Charles isn't taking over. She is in charge at the moment. She's simply in charge from her hospital bed. So, um, obviously, if there, was, if there was a case of her having to be in there for a week... She will have her engagement, her reception with the Prime Minister in the hospital. She left Windsor Castle in the back of uh, of a car. It was all very low-key. Why was that, do you think? Well, I think she felt that she didn't need to go in an ambulance because, obviously, ambulances, as we are, we all know in this country, and we all must remember, are for people who are critically and seriously ill going to A&E. So I think she felt that she didn't want to go in an ambulance. She could go in her private car, and there was she just didn't want to make a fuss. She didn't want to have a big palaver about it. She doesn't like illness. She doesn't like being ill. She wants to get on with things. She always tries to resist illness. In fact, on one occasion, when she had chickenpox, uh, she, refused, she, she was so cross at having chickenpox that she decided to see the Prime Minister when she had spots, because when you have chickenpox, there's a time when you have spots, but you're not contagious. So she was covered in spots and seeing the Prime Minister because she just wasn't going to give in to illness. And I think it's very similar now. She isn't going to, she doesn't want to make a fuss. She, she, she's rather, re, really rather not be in hospital at all. But I think certainly um, her physicians have told her it's best if she is. And I may have misheard this over the weekend, because I heard this kind of late at night that she'd uh, gone to hospital, and I was kind of a little bit drowsy. She was due to go to Cardiff to give leaks to soldiers. Well, she was due to go to Cardiff for a St David's Day celebration, which would have the soldiers there. So it was a big celebration of St David's Day. And, of course, um, it's very sad for her that she can't go. She understands that people are very disappointed, because she simply knows that people spend a year, years getting ready from their visit for the Queen, they're repainting, they're planning the songs, they're draw- the kids are drawing pictures. She knows it's a big thing in everyone's, everyone's diary. It's something that children never forget. So that's why she really doesn't want to cancel. She only cancels if she really has to. So she's obviously very sad that she's had to, had to do so and, and, and simply that uh, all the engagements this week will have to be cancelled, including this trip to Italy, which um, she won't be able to attend either. And we don't know yet about next, next week's engagements. Uh, as yet, as yet, they say they are still standing to be fulfilled. She has a busy calendar next week, and we'll see, I think, uh, at the end of this week, how she's feeling. Dr Kate Williams, Royal Historian, thank you very much uh, indeed. Your Majesty, if you're listening, just relax. Just just watch a bit of Jeremy Kyle, a bit of daytime TV, you'll be back on your feet. Uh, I mentioned leaks there, I wasn't being flippant. Uh, Producer Laura, I heard, I'm sure I heard this, she was going to Wales to give leaks to soldiers. Yeah, that's correct. She was due to travel to Swansea um, to give the leaks to the soldiers. And unfortunately, now she's not going to be doing it. She's been forced arrest, as you've just been hearing. It was with the 3rd Battalion, uh, the Royal Welsh Regiment and their families before proceeding to George Hall for lunch. But why was... Why was she giving the leaks to Welsh people? Is that... Is she, like, being a bit... Is there a joke there? I don't... What is that? Is that a thing? It's just what she was going to do. There's no explanation. Wow. 
as to why she was going to give the leaks. You see, if, if, thank you very much. <laughs> if my nana suddenly said, I'm going to go to Wales and give leaks to Welsh people, I think we would have to sit down and have a very serious conversation. If anyone knows what on earth that's all about, then uh, 08459 455 555. We played uh, a bit of a song. Um, well, we're talking Eurovision because there's a local singer-songwriter who's written a song. And the more I hear it... The catchier I think it is. It's on the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. I think we're getting calls about leaks now. Is this a leak hotline we've set up? Uh, Sally says, it's all down to money and viewers. Since the Eurovision Song Contest became a political platform, people have left it in their droves. What is the point in watching a rubbish singing show where talent is ignored over political allegiance? And Peter says simply, Neil Poir. I, th- I think that's a bit harsh. I think it's a, cra- I think it's a cracking little song. The more I hear it, the more I think, yeah, I could see that doing quite well on Eurovision. It's, it's catchy. I was singing it the second time of hearing it. That's got to be a bonus, hasn't it? Go to facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. The guy's also on um, YouTube as well, I think. If you, um, I'm just trying to find out where he is. Hang on a second. Uh, yeah, if you look up Raymond Marks on YouTube... Um, you can see uh, in the light there, and you can have a little listen and uh, let me know what you think. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. I think we should be encouraging, you know, kind of local musical talent to be taking part in that. Ken has uh, called in from Flackwell Heath. Ken. Good morning. Do you know this thing about the leaks? Well, I thought it was everybody knew. It was traditional. I mean, I'm nothing to do with Wales or the Welsh or anything like that, but I thought you know, people knew it was traditional on St David's Day. On the 1st of March, which is St. David's Day, the Welsh National Saints Day, that she, they, they've often done it, presented leaks to Welsh regiments and that. No, I, I, I was aware that, that she w- I, I was presenting things on, on St. David's Day, and of course I'm aware of St. David's Day. But no, the, um, the presentation of the leaks has, has slipped me by. What, what well, does the leak... So she goes to Scotland and gives out um, various things... And that on on other saints' days related to Scotland. How funny! I, I think that's right, but I know that the leaks thing is been going on for donkey's years. I think because you know leaks and the Welsh. Of course, in in the cold light of day. Now we're talking about this at, at, at eight forty four on a Monday morning. It does sound silly, doesn't it? Uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know where the tradition started no. or how it started, or maybe it was some form of honouring the fact that. The Welsh regiments did so well. Yes, and I'm not knocking it at all. I like oh, these silly British traditions that we have. You know, I love Morris dancers. I love the fact the Queen goes and hands out leaks to, and to soldiers. Money and things like yeah, that. Yeah, the Maundy money and, 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 and all of that. But it's, it's an odd world. It's an odd country we live in, isn't it, Ken? Thank God we do live exactly. with a Queen, not a President. Exactly. Well, there we go. Now we're getting political. Ken, thank you very much indeed. You see... It's a, it's a thing she does every year, is handing out leaks to, <laughs> to Welsh people. I never knew. Thank you, Ken. Very kind of you to call in. Well, it's uh, the thing that's got us all talking. Why on earth does the Queen give leaks to Welshmen on St David's Day? Well, Karis. Ah, uh, Karis would know. Karis in Stratley. Morning, Karis. Morning, Ian. Karis, w- with your name, I was expecting a, a, a Welsh accent, but there's, y- y- do you have Welsh blood? Um, long way back. Okay. I just happened to have the name because my parents liked it. I love the name, Karis. I think it's a wonderful name. Why on earth is the Queen giving out leaks? Okay, there are several guides, guards regiments. Yes. Um, we see them and Trooping of the Colour and all this sort of thing. And they take it in turns to look after the Queen on her official birthday. Um, the hat badges 
are different, as are the buttons on the tunics. There yes. are different numbers on the tunics. But the hat badges, yes. the Irish guards have shamrocks, yes. the Welsh guards have leeks, the Scotch guards have thistles, etc. Yeah. So as it's David's Day, and as the Queen, you know, is... I don't know what her official title is, but she's Queen. overall, you know, she's the <laughs> brigadier or something. Right. Oh, right, I see what you mean, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I remember what it's called. Yeah. Um, she uh, goes to see all her various soldiers, regiments, etc., etc., and hands out the leaks which is a symbol of their bad. Well, Karis, well, I don't want to say that you're wrong, but Catherine Boyle, the, I don't know if you're aware of her, she's the newsreader here. Yes. She's been messing, messaging me non-stop, right, with her reason. And she says, the leak arises from an occasion when a troop of Welsh were able to, do, to distinguish each other from a troop of English enemy dressed in similar fashion. So the Welsh would wear leaks so that they would know they were Welsh or something. Well, that's really more or less what I've said. It's now you a symbol, and it's on their cap badges at all. Okay, well, Karis, listen. Thank you very much for your help. That's Karis in. D- didn't quite say it like that, but thank you, Karis. I, pre- I still don't. I still don't understand it. If I'm honest, with Karis's excellent explanation and Catherine Boyle's excellent, uh, if somewhat feisty explanation, I still don't quite know. Why? But um, onwards and upwards. Now, a Buckinghamshire man is annoyed that he can't get his songs into the Eurovision Song Contest because of the BBC selection policy. Uh, Raymond Marks has written potential songs for three years, but because the BBC hasn't performed a national selection for the last ten years, he doesn't get the the opportunity to have his song chosen. Well, here's a little sample of his song, In the Light. It's quite catchy. Well, Justin Dealey has been out seeing what you think. little oh, song is it justin you do it. your music show on a saturday yes. morning which I, I must remember to listen to that one day yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, no i have listened to it and it's good but and you know your music don't hey, you i know my music and i come with a eurovision background on this one oh, my, do my, you yes my future father-in-law colin berry he was the uk spokesperson for the eurovision <gasps> song contest for years and back in 2010 yeah. my partner got onto that tv show you're making your mind up uh, 10 bands <gasps> 10 singers and she almost represented the UK, so how? I come with a background You here. say almost, Justin. How, hmm. how, how close did she get? Uh, quite close. Quite close. Wait, I think, what, what, fourth or fifth? That's not bad. That's yeah, not bad at so all. On, you're saying that your father-in-law, was he the one that, um, or the soon-to-be, was he yeah. the one that go, we now go to England for yeah. the roads, <laughs> and it will be him? As a, hi, this is uh, Colin Berry here, <laughs> and uh, the results for the UK are as follows. Well, so you know yourself. Well, hang on, Justin, say hello to the gentleman that wrote that song, Raymond Marks. Hello, Raymond. Oh, hello there. How are you, sir? Well, I'm fine, thanks. Good stuff. Excellent. Justin, yeah. uh, Raymond, Justin uh, has got very close blood ties mm. with Eurovision. Yes, well, I, I feel, you know, uh, the more we get into it, the more chance we've got to win it. Yeah. And to win it, I think, should be our slogan. Yes, well, it, yeah, it, 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 it starts... In. Well, Justin, listen, I don't want to put the pressure on because Raymond's obviously on the line. Yeah. 
What did you think of that song? You were singing along just then. I was singing along. It was certainly catchy, but it's not about me, Ian. You know that. I'm in Luton this morning. I have been playing this song to people and asking them the big question of the day. Does it have Eurovision potential? Let's have a listen to what they said. Well, Louise, you've been listening to the song. What's your initial reaction? Is it good enough for Eurovision? No, I don't think it's anywhere near good enough. It's not catchy enough. And I think that that is normally our problem when it comes to Eurovision, is that it's something that is always forgettable. It's not catchy enough, so you won't be singing that in the shower then? No, I don't think I would. Well, Jackie, this song we're talking about here, do you think it stands any chance of being entered? Should it be entered for the UK? I think it should be entered, but I don't think it'll win. Uh, why don't you think it'll win if it wants to be accepted? I don't think it's, I don't think it's wacky enough. You've got to be a bit silly. Just too run of the mill, a bit too simple. Yeah, too simple. Well, Gillian, you've heard the song. Give us your reaction. Um, it's okay. It's a very tuneful little melody. Um, nice sound, but not exceptional. Um, I actually think the cleverer thing to do is what the Eastern Europeans do and send it up a little bit and create a bit of entertainment. Mm. That's entertaining, but, you you know, you go on to the next song and you've forgotten that one. Yeah. And do you still have Eurovision parties? I bet you do, don't you? No, 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 no. I, I sit there with a ni- nice glass of wine and uh, what l- I like to look and see who gets nil point. <laughs> you cruel person, you. <laughs> And lastly, here's Alistair getting the man's perspective. You are a big Eurovision fan. You've heard the record. What do you think? Is it decent? I think it sounds like most Eurovision Song Contest entries. Uh, it sounds like most of the other entries from other countries that tend to win. So, yeah, why not? Why so it's not? got potential. Why yeah. not, as far as you're concerned? Yeah. If it was to be accepted, do you think it would stand a chance of winning, though? Uh, possibly. Pause, no, then. <laughs> <laughs> possibly, but it's, maybe it sounds too much like the others. I don't know. Well, Raymond, what, what did you think? You said you could... You were... Is that you playing that, yeah, Justin? I just can't take any more. I can't listen to it again. Catchy Raymond. Um, can I just make a little point? Please I think do. Eurovision is not only the song, yep. it's also the singer and the scenario. You're correct. Now, um, I think one of the problems that Engelbert Humperdinck had was he was very elderly and there was just him standing there with a, an acoustic guitar sitting beside him. Um, Sarah Lilly um, is on the cusp of becoming a, a great She's star. got a great voice. Now, she's actually tall, long-legged, miniskirt, lovely look, makes the right moves. Uh-huh. I think that's part of the deal. And also, the concept behind this song is she's singing to the audience and getting them involved. I'm here to sing my song to see you. Yeah. And so she'd be trying to get them to sing along with it. And my original concept would be that there would be a sort of signboard behind showing the words as she sings them to get the audience involved. Yeah. So it wasn't just the song, it was also the whole package. It, it's, it, you're right, it, 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 Eurovision has become... It, it's not a song contest, is it, anymore? It is about the whole kind of deal. There were a couple of the comments in there, uh, Raymond, said that it, it wasn't wacky enough. Well, the only snag about that is look at Sweden, who won last year. That wasn't wacky at all. It was more like Kate Bush. Yeah. Um, the German lady, Lena, who won two years ago, she sings very straight with sort of, you know, people dancing about behind her, but she sings it straight. But when Azerbaijan won, I think they had unicycles, people with hair six foot tall and things like that. Um, it's difficult to predict exactly mm. what will win, but, um, you know, we've off- we're offering, we-, we produced the song 
to win Euro, Eurovision. It's got the right singer, the right sort of approach, and that's our feeling about it. Just uh, we get a lot of different yeah. comments. Did I tell you about the chap that said it would have won in 1963? Yes, you did. Justin, you, um, you present <laughs> and the I music... Said, well, then we'd have beaten France. Exactly, and that would have been <laughs> good. Justin, you present a, a, a music show. Just remind yes. people when, when and where they can hear that. Uh, that Saturday morning show is uh, between 9 and 12, and we do play the odd Eurovision song. I think Eurovision over the years has been slated. It has become too political, but at the end of the day, come on, it's just a bit of fun. And what I would say about this record, it does sound very eurovision yeah. It really does. It really does. Is this, do you think this is the kind of song that, that you could play on your show, Justin? Um, quite possibly. I mean, obviously, I, I play a lot of older music, so I couldn't play it now, but um, certainly in, what, 50 years' time, I could probably play it then, yeah. Raymond, what, what do you hope to get from this exercise? I mean, do you really think that you stand any chance of getting this... In as a, I, I read that they've chosen Bonnie Langford to, to be the Eurovision artist this year. Well, this year. is the rumour I've heard. I think she's about 49 or 50. Um, and whereas um, uh, Sarah's in her 20s. I think wow. this is the sort of... Four. This is the sort of um, style, I think. Can I just make a little point? You've got the 20 seconds, is, sir. The door is locked, closed and bolted this year. Right. What I'm hoping is um, that we can get a little bit of going to say, let's go back to what worked. Let's do yeah. the national selection. We did far better than we've done in the last 10 years mm. and um, I'm very happy that our song is put into the national vote Raymond we have to end it there you've been a cracking sport today and I think you've, you've got a real talent that, that shines through you keep on uh, uh, hoping and keep on writing your songs uh, Raymond and Justin th- th- thanks Ooh. for that do you, do you want to sing a little bit more before we go <laughs> Justin Dealey there ladies and gentlemen that's it that's your lot that's some good stuff today. If you want to hear the rest of that song, you can go to the Facebook page and uh, Raymond's song is up there. Back tomorrow at six. JV is up next. Till tomorrow. Ta-ta. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian.